Hold on. I gotta get Craig. I do not have permission to connect to recording. Oh, I have to invite Craig. <laughs> the channel. <laughs> permission. Who can access this? Craig. <laughs> now recording. Did you hear that? Yes, that's horrifying. <laughs> Craig is recording. Way to go, Craig. <laughs> Don't give Craig... Don't tell him thank you or ask him please or anything. He's not real, okay? Are you sure? Yeah. Yeah, I am sure. I know we think we heard that voice right there, but... I'm going to go to the bathroom really quick before we start. Okay. I missed a good chance right there to recreate the naked gun mic'd bathroom peeing scene. <laughs> okay, I don't like that Craig is in the room with us. It's a little unnerving. <laughs> There's just this teddy bear staring at me with dead eyes. Donald's eyes. Blackest eyes. They roll back in their head. And... Ugh. You started, I, I've started the podcast so many times lately, I feel like. Okay, that's fair. And we have no guests, so you can, you can calm down. I don't have to feel embarrassed in front of... Your face isn't red at all today. It's, I've got a couple of patches up here. I got some dry skin going on. No, I mean, just, I don't care about that. <laughs> it's just that one day you got so embarrassed, you would beat red. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Nashville CA, your bi-weekly, bi-movie podcast by two guys, one in Nashville, one in California. I'm Josh, the Nashville contingent of this particular show. With me, as always, is Sean, the Californian. Hey, Sean. Hey, bud. How's it going today? Not too bad. Not too bad. It's uh, actually kind of pleasant here after being in the hundreds for days in a row. Oh, nice. Yeah. How humid was it? Oh, the humidity put it up to like the feels like was like 107. That's gross. Yeah. It's like a sweaty 107. Yeah. Just uh, you get out of the shower and you never feel like you completely dry off. Yeah. <laughs> you just get that nice wet feeling all day. Mm -hmm. you, you're nice getting slick, nice and oiled up. Nice moist day. It, it was good for the plants, <laughs> though, I think. All the greenery they, is, is lush. They liked 107 degrees? They like all the, the humidity in the air. I put my, my spider plant out on the porch, and it uh, grew a spider laying, and uh, like seemed to shoot up a little bit. Yeah, that plant's getting big fast. Mm -hmm. It's going to rival mine soon, because mine is tucked away in a dark corner right now. <laughs> I don't know why. I could, I could move it. I just choose not to. That's cruel and unusual towards the, uh, your spider plant. Eh. It's fine. It's fine. So, what are we uh, talking about today, Sean? Or what order do you want to go in? Yeah, today we decided to just go with kind of a old school, back to the show's roots, no guest to horror movie kind of show. Uh... I watched The Hitcher first and watched Wrong Turn after that. I did as well. Uh, okay, so you want to start with that? Yep. 
All right. So first, we're going to be talking about The Hitcher, which is a 2007 movie directed by Dave Myers, no, starring Sean no. Bean. <laughs> no, 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 not that Hitcher. Not that about? Hitcher. There's a there's another Hitcher from previous to that one. What'd you watch? I watched. Oh shoot! What is it? What year is it? I watched, nope, not 1989. It's a 2007 film starring Sean Beaton. No, that's not right. <laughs> <laughs> it is a 1986 film starring Rutger Howard, Jennifer Jason Lee, and C. Thomas Howell. I'm just fucking with you. I watched that one, too. Uh, dir- directed by Robert Harmon. And uh, so I chose The Hitcher. Uh, I I just love this movie. I wanted to rewatch it. I've watched it a bunch of times. I first saw it, I don't know, it, 10 years ago or so, like in my mid to late 20s. And it was just one of those movies that I always kind of heard was good and on people's lists of like best slasher movies. But it was usually pretty low on those lists and kind of a lesser spoken one and a, just a lesser known one overall. But uh, it, it, it's really fucking good. I love this movie. Uh, what do you think about it? Have you seen it before? Um, I saw it when I was a little kid, and I thought that it was an anthology show when I was little. Like, I thought this was one one episode. And in my mind, up until last, what, like three days ago, there was this whole series of the Hitcher, like, terrorizing people uh, week after week. That sounds good. Yeah. I mean, that could be like the anti uh, uh, Incredible Hulk kind of thing. I would have watched a serialized serial killer TV show starring Rucker Hauer around this time, mm-hmm. just taking people out one by one on the highway. I mean, I think I feel like FX would pick that up in a heartbeat. <laughs> yes. Get. Get Noah whatever from Fargo attached. Noah Hawley, yeah. Yeah. Have you seen the sequel? I don't think I knew there was a sequel, aside from the the remake. Yeah, there is a sequel. I believe the only returning cast member is C. Thomas Howell. And the s- worst part. <laughs> and so he runs into another hitcher, is is the is the wow. premise. Yeah. He see Thomas Howell in this movie is pretty good, I would say. He's he's not the best, and I feel a little bad for him, especially like in the diner scene. Um, yeah, it's just he's so outmatched by Rucker Hauer, just in terms of like actor versus actor. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of the ending of Scanners when you get Michael oh, Ironside. Yes. Facing off against whatever dork is the yeah. protagonist of that movie. Yeah. And it's just like Ironside is making like the most like intense faces and everything. And then the other dork is like trying, but he just looks like a dead fish mm-hmm. and it's just not working at all. Um so I I think C. Thomas Howell is serviceable in this movie, but compared to Rutger Hauer, who I, I truly think is like iconic in this movie. Um one of like the all-time great horror performances here in this and 
you just it, I just feel bad for the guy. Although I would say this is probably uh, Howell's maybe second best performance. And what else was he in? Uh, he's in something famous. He's in The Outsiders and Red Dawn. Okay, I I, I saw The Outsiders in school mm-hmm. and Red Dawn. I saw like 20 years ago or something at some point. Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, he was also in Soul Man. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's what he's best known for. Yes, yeah, sadly enough. Well, yeah, but you deserve it. If you, if, <laughs> if you choose to do a blackface role... You deserve the notoriety of like being that guy who did that movie. Uh, and I've heard that he, I mean, not to cast aspersions, but I've worked with someone who worked with him uh, when he was directing a music video. Um, and he was a little, a little difficult to work with. He thought a lot of himself was. My, uh... C. Thomas, no. Yeah. C. Thomas, run. Run, <laughs> Thomas, run. <laughs> oh, he's also been on Ray Donovan and the new Creep Show. Is Ray Donovan good, or is Ray Donovan just one of those, like, Showtime grasps at being prestige TV, but it just didn't quite make it? That's always what I've thought about it, but it... Uh, it spawned a movie. It did like what five or six seasons or something. Seven seasons of Ray Donovan. Yeah, but that's what they do. They stretch all of their shows until they're shit. Uh-huh. Like Dexter, they did that too. I was just talking this morning with uh, Pant and Connie about Weeds, and that show became unwatchable. It just they they don't know when to end their shows. Mm. Uh. As opposed to Cinemax, which created the perfect show with The Nick. Uh, it's two seasons and done. It's one story that arcs two seasons and you're out. It's great. So when you say Cinemax, all I think is like Zalman King's Red Shoes Diaries. <laughs> which is fair. I mean, that's what I was looking for when I was growing up at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night sneaking out to the TV. There's a reason it was known as Skinamax. And it been a very exciting night if I would see that Emmanuel was on the guide. <laughs> Ooh, I bet she's in the tropics this time. <laughs> I, I was more of a Emmanuel in space kind of guy, personally. <laughs> oh, God. See, that's the age <laughs> difference showing up right there again. <laughs> I like my sex to be futuristic. You know, I get old and gross jungly and sweaty Uh, that's fair so yeah i had no clue that this was just a regular movie well i thought that it had spawned the series after having seen the the poster and stuff for it um which i like you said i still think it's a great idea um but it did it was one of those early ones that haunted me even though i didn't entirely get it I remember I was like at my uh, my dad's bassist's house, I believe, at the time. And 
That's also where I first saw uh, Day of the Dead when I was like five years old. <laughs> oh no! Yes, I, and, and you at five years old, you saw joke on him, joke on him. Yeah, it that movie totally went over my head at that point. That's, that's mm, one of my favorite deaths in mm-hmm. a horror movie. Whatever that asshole military guy's name is. Screaming at the zombies to choke on his guts. Yes. Hell yeah. They're, we're gonna see some gnarly deaths today, by the way. Oh my gosh. Also, I'm wearing a sweatshirt with two pouches. Eh, pouch pockets. Mm-hmm. And I just had a very scary moment because I stuck my hands in there. And I felt something very large and slightly crunchy and organic. And I totally forgot that I... I picked a bunch of spinach to eat with my breakfast, and I forgot to eat it. <laughs> just, have a, just, just holding a hand. I'm just holding a handful of spinach now. What are you gonna do with that now? Just set it on your desk. I'll, I'll just hold it until we take a break. <laughs> I'll be right back. Okay. Good spinach, though. Good spinach, yeah. Uh. This entire time, I have thought that the vacuum cleaner over your shoulder was a compound bow. Oh, it does look like a bow and arrow. Yeah. yeah. If only I were that cool. I, I thought maybe you had a whole secret life that I didn't know about. No, I do. But <laughs> it, it's a secret. Also, it's not nearly that cool. No. Well, it might be. I wouldn't tell you, though. Oh. Yeah, that's the way that would work. I have four kids. <laughs> it's a lot. It's uh, impressive that you can keep them quiet for long enough to record a show. Oh, they don't live here. <laughs> oh. No. Oh, it's not cool. It's sad. I understand now. No, it's just my second family. I tell them I'm on work trips. Okay. Yep. Everyone should have one of those. Yeah, it's nice, because when you get sick of them, you just say you're going out for cigarettes. <laughs> and then you return, so you're not quite as bad as, like, a full-on deadbeat dad. And you return, and you don't have a smoker's cough anymore, and they're like, what happened? I'm like, well, I quit smoking, so I just never came back. <laughs> that feels like one of those old uh, comedian jokes, like, in the cat skills or something. So the title card for this movie, The Hitcher, I I don't know what ger- I don't know what version I have, but <laughs> the title card was Hitcher, the Highway Killer. <laughs> it's in German. That's pretty cool. That's this movie is on uh, HBO Max for anybody who is a subscriber because it was originally an HBO production. Yeah, which I feel like for a long time it was really hard to find a decent quality version of this movie because it was this ever in theaters? Uh, yes, it was. Oh, well, for the longest time I just could not find a decent version of this movie. And I, I think it took a long time for it to get an HD uh, upscaling from the film. Uh, I don't think the version I watched was HD. Either that, or it's got just a uh, practically shot-on-video kind of sheen to it. 
it yes it doesn't it's it's got a little bit of grain to it and stuff but i think one of the reasons that i love this movie is just the the location of it and it's that that texas desert there's not i don't think there's a single tree shown in this movie which would depress me if i lived there but it's awesome to look at because the skies are enormous Mm -hmm. and the director was really smart to take use of that because there's so many wide shots and i'm talking like extremely wide shots in some cases especially at the very end almost the very last shot of the movie Mm -hmm. is one of the widest shots that you get and it gives such a sense of scale to everything of that the world is huge and these are just two tiny men in this like this little game that they're playing is is so small but it gets so big in their heads well and by the end because the movie uh it starts out big and then contracts like there's so many tight close-ups uh kind of in that last third especially once things really kick off and you feel claustrophobic and then it cuts back to that super wide shot and it's just it's jarring like in the best possible way. Yeah, it. I agree. It's it's like a release of tension mm-hmm. after all those close-ups. Um, and then like the the sand dunes mm-hmm. are just stunningly beautiful. Especially again that shot at the end where it's sand dunes both in the foreground and the background, and our characters and the action is taking place like in the midground. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's really interesting composition. Uh, my favorite part of the sand dunes was when there was cars flying through them and then flipping over. <laughs> that was probably <laughs> my favorite sand dune moment. There's some good car shit in this, huh? Mm-hmm. I was, I was some amazed. cool car stuff. Yeah. Uh, so what is, what's the concept of the movie? Well, we got C. Thomas Howell being Jim, and Jim is... Uh, Where's he driving from? He's driving to San Diego. He's a Chicago guy. So a guy from San Diego ordered a car either via mail or phone auction or something. And then he gets a car driveway. So he needs it delivered to him in San Diego. Mm -hmm. So Jim's out on the highway. He's been out for a few days. and He seems like pretty normal young 20-something guy, not really too spectacular in any way, and basically the whole story of this movie is Jim feels untested, and and then we have Rucker Hauer, who is the serial killer, who just wants to be tested. He, he's, Rucker Hauer's looking for somebody out there to step up to him. And so it, it's just this really interesting movie of the setup of this conflict and Rucker Hauer basically mentoring this young man in some ways to become worthy enough to then like step up and fight him. So now this is my like big picture, um, you know, film analysis hat that I'm putting on, but is this movie about the death of American innocence? You're going to have to <laughs> explain that one, man. I... Because uh, Jim starts out the movie as this, like, young, like you said, he's untested, he's naive, 
uh, he thinks he picks up a hitchhiker in the rain who looks like Rutger Hauer. Like just that right there, I think tells you the level of uh, his personal aptitude. He is he is not a survivalist. If you pulled over mm-hmm. and you saw those laser blue Rutger Hauer eyes, <laughs> you would let him in your car. Come on, who are you kidding, Josh? Okay, it's um, maybe if he gave me a little bit of that smile and. But I mean, we're not at the diner scene yet. But I feel like he gives you a little bit of that eyebrow action from the mm-hmm. diner later, mm-hmm. and he's in your front seat. <laughs> Your wife is moving into the back seat because he's getting up front with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the goal is that you, if you did pick up somebody, that you would have like the most charming guy and he'd have some really good stories. Yeah, but <laughs> the worst thing you want is a guy who makes passive aggressive comments and asks you like existential questions while slowly getting a knife out of his pocket. <laughs> uh, and how long do you think he's been doing this? Because almost immediately they pass a car that, you know, clearly he had something to do with. Like an empty car in the rain. Oh, that like that Volkswagen bug? Yeah. When he, when he puts his hand on Jim's knee and slams down the gas pedal? Yes. Which I was also curious, just from like a physics standpoint, if I was driving a car, could a passenger force my leg down on a gas pedal. If your whole... I rest my heel on the floor. I don't, like, hover it over the gas pedal the whole time. Yeah, so I feel like it would just be pushing your foot into the floor. Yeah, because that's, that's like, the, the pivot point is your knee, and it would press straight down. Well, all right, this movie doesn't make any sense, no, and it kind of sucks. You know what? Let's, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. So, wrong turn. 2021 film. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, he gets in the car and he gives him his test and he tells him, I, I say, I want you to die. And he pulls the knife on him and he holds the knife at his eyeball. And for me, what I really key in on with this movie and what I like about it is horror movies, especially horror movies of the time, typically had a group of victims and you would get your Camp Crystal Lake counselors or your babysitters club and Halloween, and then people would slowly be picked off. But from the get-go, Jim is alone. He's completely alone out there. And, I mean, he's from Chicago. He's driving to California, so he's in the middle of nowhere. He doesn't know anyone. I mean, the cops aren't going to help him, clearly, as we kind of see later. So this movie is about self-reliance and survival and stepping up to the moment and proving that like you have what it takes and that you're able to do things for yourself and to take care of yourself and that's basically jim's entire lesson that he learns over this the course of this movie is that again and again when he thinks just when he thinks he might have the comfort of other people the hitcher either takes them away or the people fuck him over in some way. And again, he's left alone until by the end of this movie, he's the only one who can handle the hitcher. Have you seen Duel? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I was thinking of uh, the recent Duel, Duel 
movie, the, but Duel. Yes. yes. The the Spielberg one. Yes. Yeah, that's that's pretty similar to this one. Yeah. Um I got a lot of vibes, especially because of the, the setting. Uh, although it's the opposite kind of thing because we always see Rutger Hauer in this movie and we never see the antagonist in duel. Um, and also the other one that it made me think of, and then I watched immediately was incident on and off a mountain road. I saw that you watched it and I was, I was curious why, but I, I, I forgot that movie. Well, it's the masters of horror episode. Mm -hmm. It's about a serial killer who picks up a serial killer. If I remember correctly, no, it's a serial killer who picks up the wife of a survivalist who has been training for the past couple of years with her husband. That's right. It's kind of a, it's a little bit of a year next. Yes. And then, uh, the twist at the end for a 20 year old show, uh, is that she has also killed her abusive husband and, she was on the way to dump his body when she got picked up by the, by the serial killer. There were some good episodes of that show. Mm -hmm. There were some real clunkers, too, though. Yeah, I went ahead and watched episode two, and then I remembered kind of why I picked and chose uh, my way through it. What was episode two? Uh, episode two is a Stuart Go Gordon movie uh called dreams in the witch house um i don't know if you ever saw it it's got it's a i watched every i think i watched every masters of horror episode okay maybe twice uh there i had such a specific memory of the time when i was i had like severe insomnia and was sleeping only for a few hours during the day and then was watching masters of horror movies uh episodes mm -hmm. all through the night um, this is the one where the guy moves into the apartment uh, in the old rickety building and starts finding like the geometry doesn't add up and there's a portal to another world in his room behind the wall because of the H.P. Lovecraft and of course um, and there's rats in the house but the main rat has a has a guy's face on it. I'm seeing the image of this rat man, <laughs> and I don't know how I pushed this out of my brain. It must have been so bad that I was like, All right, I just got to forget about that. Yes. This looks awful. Oh, it is absolutely dreadful. Let's see. The, uh, the other terrible Masters of Horror episodes I can think of off the top of my head were the Washingtonians. Oh, yeah. Where, like, old colonial people that dress up in old wigs and everything are a cannibal society. And then, um, the ice cream man or whatever, where like some ice cream clown kills people and they turn into ice cream or some shit. God, it was, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> you, you see then like why sometimes directors are given studio notes mm -hmm. <laughs> because that show let them do whatever they want. And some of them, I was like, this is what you do when you get this budget and do whatever you want. You right. made this. You're let off the leash and these people totally trust you. And then you make whatever this was. Let off the leash. Let off the seatbelt more like it. Nobody is wearing seatbelts in this movie. And Rutger Hauer should have been wearing one because once he starts getting creepy, uh, Thomas, Jim... Boots him right out of the car 
which this is the stuff where um, Rutger Hauer as John Ryder, which is clearly an alias. Uh, also, Ryder rental trucks. Oh, yeah. I didn't, Just a little thing. Yeah, I didn't think about that. He, he could have pulled a um, Kaiser Soze kind of Kobayashi sort of thing, right? Buzzin. Buzzin' Frog? Over from uh, Men's Room. <laughs> Do you remember Wrongfully Accused? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was doing the spoof version of the, uh-huh. of the usual suspects. But, uh, isn't that also... No, I guess uh, Fletch always had his name picked out, even though it was a ridiculous name. Uh, before ja, Jim kicks him out of the car... I really like when that Rucker Howard goes, the gas station sells cigarettes. What about gas? I don't need gas. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be in this car for long. Yeah, he says, The guy who was driving that car back there, the guy who picked me up before you did. Was that him in the car? Yeah, I'm sure it was. Could have walked very far. Why is that? Because I cut off his legs. And his arms. And his head. And I'm gonna do the same to you. I cut off his legs, his arms, and his head. He did the full torso. Yeah. Uh, with that little knife? I don't know. That's a good question. It would take a while, right? Yeah, that's some dedication to your craft right there. Also, he doesn't have any blood on him. But I guess he could have stolen those clothes. Well, it was pouring rain. Oh, dude, that'll wash right out then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll be fine. So he tells him when he goes, like, repeat after me, I want to die. And Jim says, I don't want to die, and yells it. and kicks him out of the car it's it's the first moment of like of choice of jim of jim's transformation and the first thing he had to do was make this affirmation and like this choice that i want to live and i'm mm-hmm. gonna fight and he kicks him out and man when rucker Howard rolls down the highway but when when john gets up from the highway and he's like in this fetal position and he slowly arises it looks like he's being like born from the asphalt of the highway. Wow, I like your interpretation much better than mine, which was, hey, it's kind of like the Terminator. It is a little Terminator-ish. Yeah. Do you think John is in some ways mystical? He can take a beating like nobody's business and just kind of walk it off. He can take a beating and he can kind of... he teleports yeah he keeps getting in front he he pops into places like he just will pop up like at the most opportune times and there there's some weird shit in this movie that like it doesn't really track if you think of it as just like a straightforward there's a little bit of something going on here well and this also made me think of um do you know the Muffin Man. No, that's not right. 
there was a Twilight Zone based on like kind of an urban legend of uh, someone picking up a hitchhiker or not picking up the hitchhiker. And she keeps seeing him over and over again. And it's because he's like the specter of death and he keeps getting in front of her and like she slowly loses her mind about it. No, but that's pretty good. Yeah, it's great. So I feel like this was kind of based on that. And, uh, you know, do you know anything about the the writer of this movie? No, who wrote it? Uh, a dude named Eric Red, um, which he wrote Near Dark as well. Like, that's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, good Paxton in it. And he there's a dollop episode all about him. It was the first dollop episode I ever listened to um, about his life and uh, his mental breakdown and his misadventures in Hollywood kind of after this era. He's a fascinating Is guy. He, did it turn out all right for him? I think he kind of got back on track. Um, but he did have a very public suicide attempt. Yikes. In, in the interim, he drove his truck into a bistro and then grabbed some of the broken glass from the window and tried to saw his own head off. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it's pretty gnarly. That's very public. Yes. Also, Oddly fitting with the theme of the movie The Hitcher. <laughs> I know. It's like... <laughs> Sorry, I hate to laugh about... His, this dude's brain worked on this level all the time, apparently. Dang. Yeah. Well, I hope you're all right out there, Eric Red. Yes. You wrote, you wrote a hell of a movie here. Uh, I've seen that he's directed some stuff since then, like in the kind of late uh, aughts and stuff, so... I think he's hopefully doing better. That's good. Uh, this movie's ballsy, man. Like this next scene here where he's driving behind the car, towing the boat and he's playing toy guns with the kids. And that, that reveal of record Hauer from behind the teddy bear. Uh huh. It's like something as delightful as a teddy bear. Revealing something as sinister as John Ryder. It's just a very funny juxtaposition. <laughs> Is Craig going to turn out to be Rutger Hauer? I don't know. I'm still slight. <laughs> I, I'm trying to like not look at Craig down there staring back at me. Uh-huh. But yeah, later on when he finds that same car, he's screaming at them to stop. And then they almost get into a head-on car crash with a semi-truck. And he murders this entire family. Uh, yeah, and it's, it's rough. Like, this whole movie, it was way darker than I expected it to be. I thought it was going to be not, like, frothy necessarily, but this is grody. Like, it gets nasty. So, as a father, are, are you extra sensitive, or did you become extra sensitive to child deaths in movies because for me being a unfathered man i like it when a movie has the balls to kill children uh, on one level i really like it um because it is ballsy and 
in 2005, I watched the remake of Amityville Horror, and there was child endangerment in that movie, and it... I drove home afterward. I was supposed to go grocery shopping. I drove home afterward and checked on my kids before I went to Kroger to do my late night shopping. Like there was That's kind of ironic because the most dangerous thing in that movie is the dad. Yes. But, you know, still you're worried and it depends on how serious the movie is also or piece of media, I guess. Um we watched Under the Banner of Heaven, which is it's got some true true detective vibes, season one vibes to it, uh, but it's based on a true story. Uh, and there was some kid stuff in that that was practically unbearable. I agree. It's it's definitely a tone thing. Mm-hmm. But it, like, I, I we'll get to the ending of Wrong Turn or the the false ending of Wrong yes. Turn. But I really wanted that fake ending to be the real ending. Uh, but I love the ending ending. They're both good. Yes. Give me both of those. They did. No, but give me the <laughs> fake ending as reality. Yes. We'll, 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 we'll get there. Um, <laughs> so after he goes and sees the car uh, in the carnage left behind by John, C. Thomas Hall goes back to his car and pukes. What did you think of his puke acting in this movie? It's all right. It's all right. It's it's a little orange. It's a little carrot soupy looking. I'm not I'm not buying it. It, And he didn't really retch. It's just kind of there. It just kind of falls out of his mouth. Yeah, it's these actors need to realize that, like, I feel like when you do a good puke scene, the first the first retch, you should just let out a little bit of the fake puke out of your mouth. Mm hmm. And then, like, you build up to it, and then you do, like, the full-on explosion. Or you just do what our boy Macon Blair does and <laughs> do that shit for real. <laughs> God bless you, Macon Blair. Uh, I rewatched the the camera test for Blue Ruin last night. Uh, it's good stuff. It just makes me so happy. Like, that Y Oak song that, that plays over it. Uh, yeah, I love that shit. Um, so the hitcher gets a pickup truck, and this is going to be his truck for basically the rest of the movie. Pretty badass truck. I think it's it's a cool villain truck. Uh, I like this gas station ass- uh, assault where he's like, he jump scares where he has the truck hidden inside the garage. And so <laughs> it's like a jump scare moment of this hidden man, but he's like, you don't expect a jump scare to be done with a vehicle, right? you know? Um, but, you know, again, like I said before, like the hitcher is raising this young boy to become a man to fight him because at this scene, he could easily run him over, but instead he chooses to throw the lit match down and give him a chance to escape. <sighs> Did this remind you of Christine, this fire car? This is a great fire car as it's driving down the highway oh that's so fucking cool that's um let's see yeah my note was damn he just blew up a whole gas station <laughs> but jim driving that flaming car is awesome 
<laughs> it, I mean, it looks like a car with flames painted on the side, practically. It's so cool. It's just, it's, it's such a beautiful effect. And I think it would be really fun to be a stuntman. It'd be slightly terrifying, but it'd be really fun to be, just be driving a flaming wreck down the highway. How could he even see the road through that thing? I don't know. That was, that's some impressive shit right there. Like, within the context of the movie, it's awesome. But if you're thinking of logistically how they pull these things off, like, that's pretty ballsy. Like, I, how do you make sure the car doesn't explode? I, I don't know. You just don't put that much gasoline in it. <laughs> okay, that's a good point. That's probably not a good answer, but you don't don't fill up the tank, please. <laughs> just a little just enough to get me uh enough for the shot. That's all we need. So in in general, do you have any takes on just the the choice to to produce this movie not inside a city, but to to shoot and produce a movie entirely in an extremely rural and desolate area just as far as like the production do you think that makes it easier because then it's easier to shut down streets and roads and whatnot but at the same time you have to haul the entire crew your actors everyone out to seemingly the middle of nowhere day after day once again this made me th- made me think of the production of fury road where yeah yeah it was, me too yeah they're out there and I mean, this pro- this wasn't nearly as arduous, but there's no way that it doesn't feel like you're getting back to civilization, you know, in between shoot days. Like, you're staying in that crummy hotel that they stay in in the movie. I've never driven across Texas, but they feel like they're in one of those parts that's about four hours from anything. Yeah, doesn't the... Um, is it this or the other movie? I guess it was the other movie. The... But there's a sign in one of them that's like 80 miles to the nearest rest station. And you're just like, this sucks. <laughs> I, I don't want to live through that. Uh, I'm, you know, I grew up in the country, but I'm a city boy at heart. Like, I need to be able to get to a convenience store within about five minutes. You get some of those in California where it's like next gas station, 115 miles when you're way out in the Central Valley and it's just agriculture, farmland or driving across Nevada. Mm-hmm. The same thing. There's, there's parts of Nevada where it's like, you must stop now. Next stop, 200 miles. Yeah. Next Taco Bell, 350 miles. <laughs> get your burritos while you can. Also, I... Love Taco Bell, but sometimes those super remote Taco Bells out there, mm-hmm. I'm like, who's who's keeping an eye on you guys out here? I feel like people are watching the Taco Bells in the residential areas, in the cities. Who's watching those Taco Bells out there in the middle of buttfuck nowhere on the Highway 80? <laughs> That's uh, Our Taco Bell growing up was in a gas station, and I've never seen another one since then. I don't think I've ever used the phrase "butt fuck nowhere," and I don't know why that just <laughs> happened. I was trying to glide past it because it, I feel it, it made me a little uncomfortable. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know why I think it's because I just watched Mystery Alaska, and in Mystery Alaska, there's a part where Michael uh, McKean 
calls the he goes on like a tirade and goes like what kind of a shit ass bum fuck bum shit fuck of a shit time fuck <laughs> town is this <laughs> I love Mystery Alaska it's really good that's uh who's in that movie is Russell Crowe Colm Meany Burt Reynolds um that, that's kind of the big hitters oh wow that's uh apparently not the movie I was thinking of that sounds like a stacked cast. Mystery Alaska is about hockey in Alaska. It's good. Yeah. It's fun. It's a good sports movie. We need to do more sports movies on the show. I feel like I say that every time, and then I feel like you never show that much excitement about it, and then I lose interest. Is, uh, are the Rocky movies sports movies or dramas? They're sports. Okay. Because you spend most of the time with the interpersonal dramas within the movie. But I I do love that franchise. They're sports. They're not my favorite. There's it's like in those Rocky movies, every once in a while it's like Sylvester Stallone will get like two scenes that kinda get my heartstrings in those movies mm-hmm. that pull me through it. But then I think about like rewatching, I'm like, oh, I don't want to watch all that shit again. Could I just do like I should do what I did with Heat and just like edit out all of the emotion from Rocky and, and just make it like a boxing montage mm-hmm. and boxing movie. And that's it. Uh, what do you think about him taking out the robot from when Polly gets a robot? Come on, man. <laughs> I understand why people like your movie. Exactly. They like your movie because of the robot. It's not because of Mr. T. It's not because of you. Or you're writing, or you're acting. It's the robot, baby. Give me that <laughs> robot. I remember there was a, an assembly when I was a kid, and they had a robot that kind of looked like that. And it would, like, it just, like, rolled around, and then I think it, like, shot water or something. Mm-hmm. And we all went back to our classes as second and third graders and thought that was just about... The coolest fucking thing we had ever seen. And I just believed that, like, based on movies, I believed that it was, like, a sentient robot where you could just be like, Robot, would you go get me a soda from the refrigerator? Right. And yes, yes, I will. And just, I didn't understand that what I was looking at was just a glorified remote control car. Uh, were, all the, were all the boys drawing robots after that? Definitely. Yeah. I used to draw a thing called the Happy Army, and it was just tanks and planes that had happy faces drawn on the front of them, dropping giant bombs (laughs) that looked like bombs and stuff from Mario Mm -hmm. that also had happy faces on them. That's that's impressive. Yeah, that's uh, it was my satirical satirical take of the military (laughs) industrial complex from my nine-year-old perspective uh i always drew the master sword from from zelda yes that was my shit back in the day Uh, as a matter of fact i've been playing zelda recently so i guess it's still my shit you've been playing nes zelda Uh, i play the nes one and i play the Link's awakening which they... NES Zelda love that game, but there's some real bullshit in that game. Oh yeah. How did they expect people to beat that game when there's that one puzzle where you have to go 
up the screen four times, left screen twice, down screen four times, and then that opens a portal. I mean... How did they expect people to do that in the 80s? And people did it. It doesn't make sense to me. No, that is the wild part. Like, uh, I had the Nintendo Power with the map and everything. I was one of those kids. I wonder... I went Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2, Xbox, Xbox 360, PS4, PC, and they're all the time with the PC. But I wonder if as a kid, if instead of going NES, Sega, I went Super Nintendo, N64, that route. Yeah. How much different my life would be. (laughs) I, I imagine it would be completely different. I I feel like my personality would have been changed. Mm-hmm. I feel I think I would have been less sarcastic and like less caustic as a teenager. Oh yeah, because I kind of had that like Sega Genesis. I have Blast Core processing in me, and like that like punk edge of like oh Nintendo's for babies. I play Twisted Metal right. <laughs> and like drive over pedestrians and like shoot people and stuff like. What if I had just been chilling out with Mario instead? That's I realized uh, as I was playing Mario Kart 8 with our six-year-old. Oh, now seven. As of today, she is seven. Uh, with our seven-year-old. Hey, yeah. happy birthday, little one. Uh, uh, she was like, how are you so good at Mario Kart? I was like, oh, I've been playing this game for 20-some years. <laughs> You'll never catch up to me. No, it's... Uh, I'm sorry. And... I am not one of those people who lets children win. Like, I think it's an important lesson to learn how to lose gracefully. Just dominate them. Yes. I wish my nephews would play good games. They just play, like, fucking Roblox and Mm -hmm. Minecraft and stuff. I'm just like, please play something good. I mean, I played Minecraft, like, 15 years ago when it first... Yeah, premiered for a bit, and it was fun to explore caves and stuff, but these kids, man, they, they just play like, tablet games and shit, it just they, they, they don't know the like they don't know how pathetic it feels to play Battletoads and to just <laughs> get your ass handed to you over and over and over again, like the frustration of being a kid and just like being dominated by a video game and there's nothing you can do about it except get better have you played Cuphead? Yeah, I think I got about, um, probably about to the halfway point mm-hmm. where, before I burned out, and it was a good level of difficulty. There were times that I was really frustrated with a certain boss and would have to go on YouTube and watch someone else's video to see if I could like find a new strategy, but that was right on the right level of difficulty. Um, Super Meat Boy was a really good one that was like just the perfect level of frustrating yeah that made me want to like snap my controller in half but at the same time keep going and going and then hit that satisfaction speaking of satisfaction i got a lot of satisfaction out of watching the hitcher (laughs) yeah okay let's bring it back jennifer jason lee gets off the bus and she gets into her second episode of nashville ca returning after her appearance in annihilation Mm mm-hmm uh, uh, my first Jennifer Jason Lee movie ever was The Machinist. Oh, uh, okay. The Christian Bale one? Yeah, yeah. Do you like that movie? I, I really like that movie, yeah. 
because I saw it when I was about 19, and it was right in that prime spot of I liked anything that nobody else had seen, and I was just like my prime time pretentious age, and so I thought The Machinist was like fucking genius, and I, I wonder now if I went back and watched it, if I would still think the same thing. I kept watching Brad Anderson's follow-up movies, hoping for that magic again, and you know, he did Session 9, which mm-hmm. rules. But outside of Session 9 and The Machinist, he, he never quite hit that level for me again. Um, I am almost entirely sure that my first uh, JJL, uh, as I call her, was Backdraft in 91. I loved Ooh, Backdraft. I saw that when I was a Yeah, I saw that as a kid. You ever go on the Backdraft ride? No. Oh, we talked about this during the Twister episode, huh? Yeah. Yeah. It's at Uh, Universal Studios. But I did read the novelization of the movie Backdraft when I was a kid, because that's what you did back then if you wanted to uh, expand. You know, now it's like maximum... 130 days or something till a a movie hits streaming back then it was like a year until something would hit vhs so i remember we went and watched this movie i loved it and i I was like i want to relive backdraft (laughs) so i got the book it's a crazy production but i feel like people watch that movie not for the story, but just because it's cool to see a lot of fire and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that wouldn't come through in book form. No. It's like, it's a spectacle movie, and then you read it, and reading the spectacle is not quite the same as seeing the spectacle. It's It would kind of be like reading Twister. <laughs> you know, I, I might have told you this before, but I don't know why I did this as a kid. I saw the movie The Patriot, mm-hmm. the Mel Gibson movie. And then I read the novelization of The Patriot, the Mel Gibson movie. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Uh, the weirdest one I did was I was obsessed with Dracula. And so I read both Dracula and the novelization of the movie, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Nice. Yeah. No clue why. These french fries and burger that she makes him. They don't look very good, do they? No, and he makes it look even less appetizing the way he's eating those fries. I don't like it. No. He's kind of breathing them in. I, I, I don't like it. Um, those fries are way too thick. Those are like a giant steak fry, and there's like too much potato meat in the middle, mm-hmm. not enough surface area. Bad french fries all around. They look under-seasoned, too, just to my blind eye. Um. I did note that Jennifer Jason Lee is charming. I like her her haircut. She's very charming in this. I like her a lot. Yeah. I think she she doesn't have a whole ton to do in this. And some of her character choices, I'm like, why are you throwing your life away for this man that you just met? But yes. other than that, I think she's good. Um So how this is my main question that time and time again watching this movie. My one question. What's up with that finger in those french fries? I, I don't know. How? Why? Where? Did she not notice? I... So, it didn't look deep fried. Right. So, it's not... 
So it's not like the hitcher was hiding in the kitchen and like threw it in the deep fryer with the fries when her back was turned. Mm -hmm. Which would then, we would have to assume that it's either in the basket that she puts the fries on or he somehow sneaks it in the basket of fries after she's (laughs) plated them. And she's like plating the burger. Mm -hmm. Whose finger... I don't know whose finger it is. I mean, he's killed a bunch of people up to this point, so it could be any number of people's fingers. This really reminds me of that naked gun moment when Leslie Nielsen shoots a guy at the hot dog factory, and then later at the baseball game, someone's eating a hot dog and (laughs) pulls the finger out of it. (laughs) This is why I I feel like there's something... supernatural about john Ryder, or just something weird going on with this movie and it's not completely straightforward in reality because because what's up with this finger yeah it uh he's got to be supernatural he's got to be to some extent also if if i were to serve you on a plate a burger and a pile of french fries how well do you think I could hide a finger in that pile of french fries? I think I would notice like, the finger long, right away. <laughs> like, how long do you think it would take you to spot a finger in your french fries? Uh, three quarters of a second? <laughs> uh, well, they do... I mean, they are the thick fries, so at least they have that going for them. Um, if it was like steak and shake fries, you'd spot it immediately. That's true. Yeah, the little um, shoestring guys. Yeah. <laughs> okay, now shoestring f- fries are taking it too far in the opposite direction. Now we're like, now we're all surface area, and there's no meat in there. Mm-hmm. And I've never had a shoestring fry that was properly fried. It's either under fried, where there's no crispiness, or it's fucking over, where it's just dry and crackly. Yeah, there's like because there's no meat to absorb, no potato meat to absorb. Uh, the the extra heat. We should start a side podcast called Spud Buds. Just talk <laughs> potatoes. Uh, I have I told you about my friend who's got a onion ring uh, Instagram account. I th- maybe I think so. <laughs> Where he just uh, he rates onion rings, and you'll either love this or hate this. He calls them fryer tires. deliberation eh. I, I can't stop thinking of fryer as in like fryer tuck <laughs> so i'm just picturing you know, so a, a bald monk uh-huh i mean it with can, a big belly it kind of would the 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 tonsure sort of hairstyle that they have that's true yeah that could that's also kind of onion ringish yeah if if you look hard enough you can see onion rings everywhere <laughs> what if the movie 23 was replaced with onion rings <laughs> jim carrey losing his mind over onion rings i would watch that so when the cops roll up on this diner and they arrest c thomas howell i, I really think it's funny that there's that there's that switchblade that john somehow planted on jim mm-hmm and when the cop opens it, he cuts himself on it. And uh, that's the other day at the bar, I was sitting there, and there's this lighter behind the counter that I picked up because it was all silver and metallic and it was shiny. 
And so it was a shiny thing, so I had to pick it up. And it's a it's a butane jet torch style mm-hmm. lighter. And so I'm looking at it, and it's like a side. You squeeze the side to trigger it, and I squeeze it, and I don't realize that there's a little magic door at the top that opens up, and that's where the flame comes out. I thought it came out the bottom. So I almost burned my finger. I was like, oh, shit. So then, like, the next day, my buddy sits down at the bar. And <laughs> I'm just like, I, I, was, I was looking at someone who was looking at I was like, oh, careful. I, I almost burned my finger on that thing. Uh, it, it's pretty sketchy. And then, like, 30 seconds later, I'm just sitting there. And I just hear him, like, and flinch and, like, throw the thing down. Because, fucker, <laughs> squeezed the side and opened it up. And the magic little door opened and just, like, blasted his pinky and ring finger with butane jet Oh, fire. God. And those things are no so, joke. <laughs> he's, he's trying to play it off cool. Like, it's not hurting. And then he asked the bartender for a cup of ice. And he just <laughs> This is why you should pay attention to your friends. <laughs> but I felt bad because I, I could have told him that there was a secret door that opens where the, <laughs> the bad stuff comes out, but I didn't say anything. I thought my warning was enough. Right. But. This seems exactly how cops would act. They show up with uh, half the information, basically, and immediately arrest the innocent guy. <laughs> Yeah, he gets tossed in the jail cell, um, and they, 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 he tries to make the phone call, and the cop is like, obviously he's not a killer, mm-hmm. but we're going to lock him up <laughs> anyways, it doesn't matter. Uh, did you notice any of the graffiti in the cell? Kyle is fine, <laughs> in capital letters. Now, is that someone that, like, had sex with Kyle? And was just like, oh. man, Kyle is fine. Or was that a man named Kyle, like, doing a self-affirmation? Like, you're okay, Kyle. Kyle is fine. Kyle is fine. I don't know. I had I had thought about it as um, somebody trying to proclaim their own innocence over possibly murdering Kyle. Like, oh, no, Kyle's fine. <laughs> Kyle's alive. I saw that guy last week. Yeah. You gotta believe me. Yeah. You need a the corpus delecti going on there. No body, no crime. You mean Corpus Christi? Uh, no, Christy Cookies. Who? Christy Yamaguchi? Uh I got I got nothing off that one. You got no Yamaguchis, do you? No. <laughs> My mind went to, to Tamagotchi and that was too far of a stretch. It's kind of close. Yeah. Um, so all the cops are dead, except for that good dog that John <laughs> let live, because John's not a bad guy. John's like the den of thieves. He kills uniforms. Yes. And and, and mothers and daughters and children. children. <laughs> and pretty much everybody. But he else. doesn't kill dogs. Also, how funny is it when that dog is licking that detective's slit throat? Mm, mm-hmm. That's pretty funny. The uh, also that goes against the stance that I once took on this show that your cat will immediately start <laughs> eating your dead body, but your dog won't. Uh-huh. And this movie is disproving me. But that's a police dog. Police dogs 
They don't count. They're bastards. They don't count as regular dogs. Well, yeah, they're. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, that dog's only gonna eat human from now on. He's got the taste. It's got the taste. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be the ghost in the darkness. Can we watch oh. the ghost in the darkness sometime? That's a fantastic movie. Yes. Yes. I agree. I agree. And nobody else, like everyone, just wants to shit on it and be like, "That movie's preposterous." Except, it's pretty historically accurate, yeah. as far as what I can tell. And it's very pretty too. I do remember that. Yeah, that soundtrack is really good. Mm-hmm. So the next thing is when the cops pull up and find him at the gas station, he makes that one handcuff the other and gets in the back seat. And it's it's John, this scene kind of embodies the idea that like you cannot seek help. No one's going to help you. No one's going to get you out of this. Because as soon as he agrees to be taken in by the cops on the radio talking to that police captain john seemingly materializes out of nowhere mm-hmm. in that pickup truck like on the where did this dirt road come from how has he been following them on this dirt road like how is he tracking them but again it's like it's like a stalker uh, or not a stalker excuse me a slasher doing kind of a jason teleportation trick that's all of the the cars show up out of nowhere, which doesn't make any sense because it's flat. <laughs> you can see forever, but every time John uh, or if someone's going to get into a near crash or something, like there's no sound. It's just suddenly there's a truck or there's a bus right there. Uh, and John takes advantage of this seemingly supernatural desert to... Uh, murder the just totally murks these policemen uh and once again yeah because he's just like you're not you're not gonna get their help yeah why don't you get this stop looking for other people and fucking fight me is basically like what john keeps doing to this kid again and again um so my next note now is uh oh what's up (laughs) after this What's up with Jim trying to kill himself? That seems so out of left field. Yeah. I get that like times are dire and stuff, but that seems like such a random added scene that doesn't need to be in this movie. And I think it's during that scene where uh, Jim's hair is at its craziest. It has been getting yeah. like increasingly larger and it is just wild at this point. Uh, he looks like he's been living in that desert for for ages. There's a great shot of him at this point, though, where there's a mountain in the background, Mm -hmm. and it completely dominates everything. And Jim in the foreground, he's just, he has, like, the mountain of the world, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he's being crushed by it. That's a, once again, beautiful metaphor. I just went... Thanks, buddy. I just went, oh, that mountain's cool. (laughs) See, normally you're the one that makes all these nice <laughs> observations, and I'm just the one that's like, I really like when the movie made me laugh. <laughs> it scared me. It was pretty good. I, I think it's funny that this is our third episode in a row that we have a confrontation of characters at some kind of diner oh, or restaurant. Yeah. Den of Thieves, we were at the hibachi restaurant, mm-hmm. the Benihana. 
and then heat you're at the diner and now here we are again at a diner is can you tell me a better Rutger Hauer acting scene I suppose the other one that would be up there is the Blade Runner yeah. in the rain but I I he's incredible here his eyes are so fucking blue he has like Neil McDonough eyes and the charisma that he has and the threatening presence that he has and just like the way he mocks Jim when he does like the fake gunshot and then Jim just like clicks away with the empty gun. He's just in control of everything and just mocking Jim trying to get trying to get like that inner animal to wake up. That uh, genuinely made me jump too when uh, Rune Ryder does that fake gunshot. It was very effective. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, like, if you ever go out to a restaurant or something and someone slams a table to make a point or a joke or whatever, mm-hmm. if you slap a table, it, it, the whole room will jump, man. It's startling. I've got to say, uh, every time we talk about jump scares, I, my mind flashes back to the last one that I experienced, which was in the black phone uh, we went and watched the other day. And no spoilers, no spoilers, but there is a fantastic jump scare in that movie. It was the kind where the whole theater jumped and then laughed because, oh, nice. Yeah, it was like, oh, (laughs) oh, I haven't experienced that in a long time. Yeah. And it was a packed house, too, which is a really fun way to see something like that. Is that a good movie to see in a in a full theater? I think so. I think because there's some horror movies like Hereditary where you want it to be dead silent mm-hmm. in the theater, and then there's other ones where you don't mind if there's a little bit of crowd noise and laughs and screams and whatnot. Yes, and I think this was a pretty good one. I've had some. It's been weird lately. Um, we went and watched Godfather Two a couple weeks ago, and there was a guy laughing inappropriately during it, which is just awkward. It's so weird. I don't remember a lot of jokes in Godfather 2. <laughs> no, no. And the points where he was laughing was kind of like, uh, uh, oh, that Michael. <laughs> he's such a cut up kind of. And you're like, no, nah, he's a cold blooded murderer. <laughs> oh, he just shot Fredo in the head on a boat. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. He abuses his oh. wife. Oh. <laughs> it was always you, Fredo. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they kissed. <laughs> yeah, you made me genuinely laugh there. <laughs> so at this diner, after Jim says, why are you doing this to me? He puts the coins on his eyes. Oh, my gosh. And, and so that's like a, a death ritual, right? I, I don't remember specifically. It's like to pay your toll. Yeah, it's to pay, um, is it named uh, Chiron, the, the boatman that takes you across the river? Or is that the name of the uh, river? But at any rate. It's the river sticks, I believe. Oh, yeah, yeah. But anyways, so he says, you're a smart kid. Figure it out, basically. Grow the fuck up and fight me. And leaves leaves the bullets 
and some white rock looking thing wrapped in a napkin. Did you, I didn't understand what this little thing was that he leaves on the table. I didn't either. Maybe it was, I thought it was another part of the gun, but then when I went back to look at it, cause it didn't quite make sense. It made even less sense. It's one of those, it's like one of those pictures where you can't actually figure out what anything is. Right. Yeah. Um, so he gets on the bus, he finds Jennifer Jason Lee on the bus, coerces her, um, and then, yeah, the cops are, <laughs> you spit on my wrist, wipe it off, as the cop oh wants my gosh. to. This is a pretty intense scene. Uh, I wanted John to steal that bus, though. I wanted him to, like, either at the gas station or when the cops stop it to, like, jump on that bus and start tearing ass around the desert in a big old bus. We'll, we'll cover speed next week. Okay, good. We'll get, we'll scratch that itch for you. <laughs> uh, but so yeah, she decides to basically throw her own life away and hold some cops up at gunpoint to save Jim's life. Now, if, if you do that, but it's for the right reasons, do you get to get off scot-free? Are they like, like, oh, no harm, no foul? Uh, no, especially not in Texas. <laughs> um, okay. Have you ever wanted to, in a public place, perhaps a subway or, I don't know, your local bodega, have you ever wanted to grab the cop's gun off his hip when they're not paying attention? Like, you don't want to shoot him or anything. But just, like, play keep away. <laughs> oh, definitely. Wait, what movie am I thinking of? Oh, Crank. Oh. He does that in Crank. Does he? He's wearing the nightgown, and he's running around the streets, and then he takes the, go- the cop's gun and steals it from him, and then I think he steals his motorcycle. <laughs> he, throws, he throws the cop's gun away and says, like, go fetch pig or something. <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta watch Crank 1 and 2. There's so many movies that we gotta watch. Oh, my God. That sounds, God that sounds delightful. Why is this podcast only every two weeks? Maybe we should do triple features. (laughs) (laughs) That's what people want. Longer episodes. Uh, Yay. Uh, Car flips. The the cars. Yeah, apparently apparently this car is able to get to over 105 miles per hour. Mm -hmm. Jennifer Jason Lee is about to shoot at cops from a speeding car. And... The scene where Jim slams on the brakes and the one cop car shoots the other tires and you get synchronized car flips. It looks like they're in the Olympics in like a synchronized <laughs> swimming event. Uh-huh. It's, it's beautiful watching this, this synchronicity of these two cars rolling down the highway together. And they don't stop rolling. It made me wonder, like, how many cars did they have to flip or how many cameras did they have rolling? Uh I know at one point in time, the the crash in Casino Royale <clears throat> was the most continuous car flips that someone had done on camera. That's a good one. Yeah. And but this looks longer. So I'm guessing they had to flip the cars a couple times, which that's awesome. <laughs> was it was it Midnight Run, the one where it- there's like the helicopter shot of just like cop cars strewn all over the field. Yes. Uh, that was awesome. Speaking of helicopters. Oh, 
Oh, helicopters. Yes. Dude, how cool is this helicopter chase? Oh my god, it was... Okay, helicopters are terrifying. We've we've talked about this, right? Like, that's it's just a death machine. Yes, even though in theory, if your if your motor goes out, there is still a way to land. In theory, if you're at high enough elevation. What? With a plane, you got wings and you can glide. Yeah. And that's part of what they do. Like when you're doing your test, they'll take you up really high and shut off the engine. And you yeah. you have to like glide and maneuver in the air. Um, and then they turn it back on. But with a helicopter, I would think you drop like a stone. <laughs> you do. Except they, um, they're basically able to disengage the whatever is seizing the rotors, okay. whatever motor parts are, so that it becomes free spinning. So then as it falls, it's like one of those toys that you had as a kid where it's like a propeller attached to a stick and you spin it in your hands and it flies up uh-huh. and then slowly. So as it starts falling, the, blade, the rotor blades start spinning. Okay. And then essentially, like the pilot can get enough rotor speed to kind of flare it at the end as you would like a parachute and there's some youtube videos of pilots training for it it's pretty interesting uh but that doesn't they're work. still terrifying they're still terrifying that doesn't no, work. And it doesn't work when you're flying eight feet above a highway no and, it does not work then <laughs> and rudger hauer shoots you with a pistol and knocks out the rear rotor and you catch on fire yeah so do you think it looked like the way I'm guessing they shot this was they dropped like a shell of a helicopter from a crane mm-hmm. and then had a car drive through it. I don't know. How do you think they pulled off this shot of the the actual helicopter crashing on camera? I think they killed two people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got from this because it looks great. Like the the cutting, sometimes in the cutting for stunts, uh, you can see where the stunt ends and begins because the cutting it, the, the editing is unnatural, but here it totally just, it, it's smooth. Yeah. It, the one nice thing about this movie and, you know, all these movies from the seventies and eighties is what you see is what you get in the sense that it's, it's either real or it's practical or it's miniatures or something. But what you're watching is, what happened on a camera right uh and so it just movies like this they just age wonderfully because there's nothing that would age this movie it's just it just exists in reality there's no technology or anything that was trying to hide hide the corner cuts um so is that the car drives through the helicopter uh and then flips over. There's there's more flipping cars. Yeah, like there's a lot of flipping cars. Flying down the highway. Well, there's... And then there's that one car... Oh, I think it's the bus later on that, like, rolls down the sand dune. Mm. And then rolls over down that dune. Yes. And that just... That looks kind of fun. Just rolling down a, in a sand dune in a car. It looks cushioned, you know? <laughs> it would be the most peaceful way to uh, roll in a car. Almost like a ride. Uh, they go to a hotel, Jennifer Jason Lee and C. Thomas Hall go to a hotel 
And I noted, like, you're nasty. Don't lay on that bed. Go take a shower. Like, get some, try to get some clean clothes or at least, you know, wash the dust off you. I noted that the TV in the room is connected to a light switch. Yeah, that's weird. Never seen that. What's going on there? What are they doing in Texas? Is that why their power grid is all fucked up? (laughs) Every time you come home, you accidentally turn on the television. Right. So she's not supposed to make a phone call, but he takes a shower. She does make a phone call. Now, again, she's not supposed to call home because, you know, Jim doesn't want them to be found. So does John... Is this phone call why John is able to find her? I feel like John knows where Jim is always in a omniscient, omnipresent way. Yeah, he's got, so, uh, he's like got this the phone force. call. I don't think this phone call matters. No, I think it would only matter to the police, maybe. Yeah. But I feel bad for her because at, at this point, she seems like a hostage more so than an accomplice. That's how I felt. Um, well, did you appreciate the fact that no one in this movie talks about their feelings? <laughs> it's, it's just, uh, action, action and stalking. That's what you get. I hadn't noticed that, but maybe that's why I like this movie so much. Yeah. Like it doesn't get bogged down. It's, there's clearly some sort of relationshipy thing starting between the two of them, probably born out of the stress of the situation. but. It's never really addressed. No, it can't. This is not a healthy relationship. <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, it reminds me of which Friday the 13th is it? Where uh, the guy is getting blamed for the murders and the, the hiker guy, like the yes. guy out backpacking, yes. looking for his brother's killer. Yep. Uh, I believe that is. F- is it five or five? Five. Okay. I think it's yeah, four or five. Uh, but yeah, and the the girl. That's the one with Gordon the dog jumping out the window. Oh, you know, we talked earlier about good death lines mm-hmm. when you choke on them. That hiker guy in that Friday the Thirteenth movie. It's great because as Jason is stabbing him over and over, he just keeps yelling, "He's killing me! <laughs> He's killing me!" <laughs> And I I think there's something profoundly disturbing about him screaming, he's killing me. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I... As would be my uh, response to most of these events, I think I would never stop crying if that happened to me. Like, never. (laughs) If I was the witness to that, I would just be like, (laughs) I can't. Well, how do you think you would deal if all of a sudden John put his hand over your mouth and dragged you away and then tied you up between two semi-trucks or between a cab and a trailer? Oh, my God. That I did not expect this. Like, No, not at all. And especially the resolution of this scene, I did not expect. It's... Well, 
First, I got to give a shout out to to Dale from The Walking Dead, and he's also in The Mist. Mm-hmm. That actor is the the one cop that actually seems to have somewhat reason, and I don't, the one cop that seems like he might be able to actually help Jim out with this. Um, I love that actor. He was my favorite guy on Walking Dead, so I'm always excited to see him. That's uh, Jeffrey so, Demun is who you're is who you're referring yeah, to. Yeah, Jeffrey Demun. Yeah, which is just one of those good names. They tell Jim he wants to talk to you, and Jim gets in the truck with him. And man, the lighting in here with these red and blue flashing lights on Rucker Hauer, and it's shot tight in this cab, and he's so sweaty, like he's been sitting in this hot truck as the sun sets in Texas for hours with this poor woman tied behind it, just ready to draw and quarter her. It's, it's, it's a fascinating setup too, because it's like when, uh, when a bad guy has his thumb on the trigger of a bomb Mm -hmm. and he says, you shoot me, my thumb comes off this trigger and it blows up. But the idea of using a clutch like yes. His foot will come off the clutch and just even if his foot's not on the gas, his foot coming off the clutch will roll the truck enough to fuck her up. So it's a really interesting, like jigsaw-esque trap. Uh, do you think John is just always that damp? Because in the scene right before it, when he gets her from the hotel room. He's laying there, and there's a close-up on his face, and he's just, he's just wet. Like, it's nasty. I, I don't think so, because later we get kind of a, a sexy, dry, dusty John mm. towards the end of this movie, where I think Rucker Hauer looks his absolute best. Um, did you notice that the, there's like two lines in the truck, two lines of Johns, that are clearly ADR'd? No, I'm I I'm pretty bad at picking up ADR lines unless they're like super obvious. It's like his whole it, the tone is different. Like okay, he's talking like this, and he's down here, and he's kind of blah 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 blah, and he's like the gun is loaded. Blah 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 blah. <laughs> take the gun. <laughs> he's yeah, and take that gun, put it in my face, squeeze the trigger. And he looks just so let down and disappointed that Jim won't kill him. Mm-hmm. So it sucks because he's just like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to take off anyway. What do you think of... So the, the, the truck takes off killing Jennifer Jason Lee, which happens off screen. What do you think of this fade to black here? It's, it is rough. It is... I think it's worse than... It, you know, whatever we would have seen, which they wouldn't have like pulled her apart necessarily, but we might have seen her hands dripping more blood or her feet or something. Um, it it, it uh, leaves the scene without a f- like without a sense of closure. Yeah, it just ends on this shocking note. And like, did they really do that? Oh, okay. There's a medic checking out Jim. They really did that. That's uh, I wrote down that. While John is distracted, they better be getting rid of those ropes. Holy shit, they didn't get rid of the ropes. <laughs> so John is a complete nobody in the cop system. Uh, Jim comes into the interrogation room and shakes his hand, and 
does a big old loogie in his face, and John seems to like relish the spit mm-hmm. and like rub it in between his fingers. He seems way too satisfied with this spit all over him. He's he's just happy that Jim is standing up. Uh, Dale, the cop, says, I don't know, you guys have some weird special thing between you two, but it's over. And then this is when Jim pulls the gun on Dale and kicks him out because he knows this will never be over until I finish it. And now we're getting into the very end of this movie here where John's in the prison bus and uh, we see him eyeing the guards' guns. Wow, so... Just as Jim's pulling up, he blasts both the guards with a shotgun. Very cool-looking shotgun, by the way. A pretty iconic weapon here. Yeah, it's uh, he he's one-handing a tactical shotgun, which is badass. Like that's the kind of uh, weapon that would bruise your shoulder, I think, or like strain your your tries if it if it went from the kickback. Or you shoot it one-handed, and the kickback knocks it straight into your nose. Yes. I've seen it's that pretty video. badass, but you know what's really badass? Fucking lion roar sound effect <laughs> as he jumps that. from the prison bus <laughs> onto the car. This is like straight out of hot fuzz, this lion roar. Uh-huh. It's, it's amazing. And again, it's just... John's not a normal human being. Right. There's something about this guy. And so, yeah, fuck yeah, put a lion roar on him. Hell yeah. And not only does he jump from one moving vehicle to another, which is always impressive, he dives through the windshield. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, and it's not tempered glass either. He's all cut up, probably. Yeah, yeah I was trying to figure that out. Like, when did they start using tempered glass in, in cars? So Jim slams on the brakes, sends John flying and rolling down the highway again, just as we did when we started. And God, Jim thinks he's dead. And then he tries to get the truck going and running again. The truck won't start because this is a horror movie. But man, these shots of Rutger shooting this shotgun and he's swinging it around. It reminds me of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. When Leatherface does his chainsaw dance at the end, it's it's John out in the highway in the middle of fucking nowhere in his absolute element. And he finally has this battle confrontation with this young boy who's become a man that he's raised. And he looks delighted in this moment. And it doesn't even look like he's necessarily trying to kill Jim. He's just like ecstatically blasting that shotgun mm-hmm. like it's like it's his art that's i think he seems really delighted by the destruction that he's causing like it doesn't even have to kill somebody it's and also there's no way he could there's no way you're gonna like fire through the engine block and get jim where Not with he the is. shotgun no yeah no but then he holds his arms out and says come on and he, he it's, it's kind of that bring it to me gesture and and Jim runs him over and then checks John's body and the music starts to kick in and you notice that Jim with the shotgun barrel he kind of like gently caresses John's hairline 
It's very interesting. These guys have like kind of the way that Ravenous did when you have a protagonist and an antagonist who somehow have some kind of spiritual connection. That's the vibe I was getting from this. I mean, the the cop wor- worded it perfectly. There's something strange going on between you guys. Like, there is some sort of, I don't know, not necessarily yin and yang, because I don't think, for the most part, Jim in any way is the, the equal or opposite uh, of John. Like, he he just doesn't have that stature. He doesn't have that. Uh, but maybe by the end of it, he's kind of built up to that level, I guess. And then what do you think of the ending here? I, as, like, John throws the chains and Jim has to put him down one final time. That was awesome. <laughs> the whole, that shot, uh, which I did not expect this movie to be as stylish as it was in certain points. There's, like, uh, a shot of Rutger Hauer when he's standing up. And the camera zooms in like the camera looks like it's on a dolly or something. Uh, and so it was moving forward rather than zooming in like to his feet and then up to his face. Like it tilts up and he just looks like a towering hulk of a man. Just terrifying. Yeah. And he, he won't be put down. He won't be chained Mm-mm. basically. And I, it's interesting that. In the end, it's the, the car can't kill him because this man cannot be killed by a car. Mm-hmm. Cars are his tool. Cars are his, <laughs> his lifeblood. So it, it's got to be a shotgun. And the, the squib on these shotgun oh blasts, God. they're pretty fucking big, man. Um, and then, like I said before, that ultra-wide shot of the dunes in the foreground and the background. I, I, it's so interesting to put the action the satisfying action at the very end of this movie in ultra wide. But I think it takes away some of that feeling of like vengeance has been had. And it leaves me more with a feeling of like, Jesus, all this violence is pointless. And Jim is never going to be okay. Like most, is he though? Uh, I, there's no way you could live through that. I know, but I feel like this in shot, Man, with him, that fucking sunset, the very last shot of this movie. And this movie ends on a really weird note again, where it's like it, it doesn't give you quite the closure that another movie would, where we get to see Jim going back to his normal life or delivering the fucked up car now that's all broken and beat up to San Diego. <laughs> but it just ends without even a line of dialogue or a word said. But he's smoking that cigarette leaning against that truck. And I feel like. For me, I feel like at the end of this, Jim now has left this movie, yes, damaged and scarred, but also with the knowledge that he has he has the courage and the strength within himself to take care of himself and to stand up. But there's no way, after seeing those uh, cops like in the car, right, when, when he's got them hostage... And Rutger Hauer shoots them across across a football field with a pistol and gets them both like headshots, which is amazing. Uh, you're, you know, the ending is very much Monsters Dead movies over. Roll credits. But I think Jim's going to be living with this for a while. Okay, yeah, and I guess if you 
had a secret girlfriend who might become your real girlfriend who had just been doing a whole Bonnie and Clyde thing with you and then she gets drawn and quartered <laughs> because of your inability to act. I could maybe see that have a lingering effect on someone psychologically. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have anything else uh, for the hitcher here as we wrap it up? No. Uh, thank you for suggesting this movie. When was the last time you saw it? When I was like five. Oh, wow. I didn't realize it had been that long. I thought you had seen it in the time in between. No, I, I think I owned it at one point because I distinctly remember it was one of those the cardboard cases of DVDs. The little keeper case. Um, yeah. But yeah. Well, awesome, dude. I'm really happy then that you got to watch, like, rewatch a movie that kind of fucked you up as a kid. Yeah, it was very enjoyable. Uh, way better film than I thought it was going to be. What would you give this one on a five star? Um, I was trying to look up what I gave it because, but it said my letterbox is not verified. Let's see. I gave it four stars. Yep. Me too. Super solid. Love it. Beautifully made. Beautifully acted by Rucker Hauer. Uh, iconic in some ways. And yeah, it's just. It just moves, man. It's really good. It like you we're saying it's a slasher movie, but you actually get a lot of personality from the slasher. Yeah, it's nice, especially in that time of like to go against the minimalism of uh, Michael and Jason. Yeah, not as much Freddy, but to go against the minimalism of a slasher and make him the most charismatic character in your movie is a really cool choice. Yeah, um, and. I think the the direction was better than I thought it was going to be. The script was better than I thought it was going to be. See Thomas Howell. Uh, he's fine. But he's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say he's fine. You know, his uh his job is to be put upon for the most part and I think he does that well. All right, you want to take a little break and we'll come back and talk about Wrong Turn? Yes. Yes. So for our second film today, we watched uh, Wrong Turn from 2003, starring Eliza Dushku, uh, Jeremy Sisko. Wait, wait. What? I, what? I watched the one directed by Craig T. Nelson's son, Mike P. Nelson. (laughs) (laughs) From 2021. What would you watch? Uh, the 2003 Rob Schmidt, they're both written by Alan McElroy, so it's, uh, they're pretty much the same movie, right? The way you said that sounded like Knuckle Roy. Yeah, Alan B. Muc- <laughs> Knuckleroy. McElroy. Or see, okay. McElroy. See, see, I think I would have said McElroy. It can't be. It's not McElroy. No, but that's but it a, looks like it. That would be a great name. No, I did a goof on you. This time we did watch the remake. It's not a remake. It's a entire reimagining. Yeah, we'll get into where this movie fits into the wrong turn universe. Mm-hmm. Or if it even does at all. Have you seen all the wrong turns? I've seen the first one and the... Uh, third one maybe i saw like the the fourth one at some point the one my favorite one is the one with henry rollins 
in it and they're filming a reality show that that's part two out, out in the woods that was my favorite one uh, mainly because i thought henry rollins was actually really fun in that movie mm-hmm. um yeah i don't remember when i watched all of them like over the course of a week, basically every night I would watch one wrong turn movie. Um, and to put them in like series, uh, order of quality. I watched all the, all the child's play movies, all the Chucky films. I enjoyed those quite a bit. This probably comes shortly after that. And, uh, I've not been able to make my way through all the Hellraiser films. So these are kind of the second tier of, of horror movies to me, horror movie franchises. Hellraiser gets really weird and starts to drop the ball. And I like the original a lot, but there's some kind of funky stuff in it. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like Clive Barker's short stories a lot, but I feel like every movie he's been attached to has been its own unique mess in one way or another. And his best adaptation is probably Midnight Meat Train. I've not seen Midnight Meat Train, although I have uh, a you know pretty deep love for Cabal, um, uh, Nightbreed movies, Nightbreed. Yeah, and people love that one. Or people, there's always been that that rumored cut that exists that the studio cut twenty five minutes of Monster City footage out of mm-hmm. it or whatever. But I don't know, even then, that that movie's just not really up my alley for whatever reason. I liked the story, though, mm-hmm. but then, like, the execution just didn't work for me. Interesting. Uh, but we are talking about Wrong Turn. Uh, I did notice that both these movies start with driving. Is there anything there? A lot of similarities? Cars on road. No. Okay. You got to drive the story forward. <laughs> this one, this movie starts with flames, which are scary in the title credits. Oh yeah. Good point. And we got Matthew Medine driving around small town America, asking people questions, showing him photos of his daughter. And Matthew Modine, I, th- I only know him from full metal jacket. And I think some random, TV appearances or something. I don't know what else I've seen him in. Um, also from uh, the Stranger Things. Oh, that's that's exactly where I've seen him from. Yes, yeah. he's the like scientist guy. Yeah. Uh, have you never seen Vision Quest? Nope. Okay. With the about the wrestler, he was he's the titular. Quester, I guess. A vision? Yes. Oh, he was also in Memphis Bell and Pacific Heights. Pacific Heights, I enjoy that movie a lot. Memphis Bell and Pacific Heights both sound like boring movies that are right up your alley. <laughs> Those are such like not me titles. Uh, but Pacific Heights has Michael Keaton as the bad guy. Ooh, that could be good. Yeah. Keaton as a bad guy. Yeah. And what year? 1990. Okay, so it's Keaton 
couple years before multiplicity. Yeah, I could see it. Just post Batman. I don't. I'm sure I saw Keaton Batman as a kid, and that was the last time. Really? Talk about my obsessions as a child, man. No, I mean, I remember the car. Maybe I had the car at some point. I don't know. Batman just, for whatever reason, never pulled me in. I think I didn't like like the Joker stuff, especially like Jack Nicholson with that super long pistol. That was just weird. And then after that, you get like Danny DeVito biting people's noses off, and that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> just, I just I think the series overall was just like always too weird for me growing mm-hmm. up as a kid. I can see that. Batman Returns definitely weirded me out the first time I saw it. Yeah, but that's just Burton and Jim. Is that the Burton one or the Schumacher one? Uh, The first two are both Burton. And I feel like he was really given free reign on that second one because the first one was went over so well. I feel like the only Burton movie I've ever truly liked was Big Fish. And even now, thinking back on Big Fish, like that, that movie is like two and a half hours, isn't it? Oh, I do not recall, but uh, I wouldn't doubt it. That's one. That's a dad movie that I have not watched since my dad died. I'm sure that would leave me in a great mental state. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a that's a heavy dad movie. Yeah, that movie hits hard. Uh, I don't like the guy who's the star in it, the, who plays the son in modern day. Ewan? No. Other guy. Oh. Um, he has dark hair, angular face. Is he too is he too handsome for you? He's just too stiff in that movie. Especially with Albert Finney there acting his ass off. Or is it Brian Cox? Brian Cox. Remember. Wait, is it not Brian Cox? Is it Albert Finney? It's Albert Finney. You're correct. I'm I'm hitting the panic switch here. God, the uh, it's 125 minutes, just over two hours. I just remember that movie feeling long by the end of it. Uh, this movie feels long by the end of it. This movie's like an hour 50. This was shockingly long for what this is. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. yeah, it is 150. Um, so, so, yeah, after after that, he he's talking to some townies, Matthew Modine, looking for his daughter. I like that line that the local townie says, that guy that's in every horror movie. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know his name. You know, the one with the yellow eyes and this. Uh, Nature eats everything it catches right down to the bone. Doesn't matter if it's a cute girl. Like, oh, thanks, guy at bar. Thanks for <laughs> telling me that nature doesn't care if it's my daughter or not. Uh... Would you wait six weeks to go find your family members? Six weeks does seem like a bit of a stretch when you think about they got lost. It's not like they got lost three weeks into their trip. They got lost like 18 hours into their trip. So she's been missing presumably for about 41 days. Um, also, okay, so yeah, they were like at the beginning of their journey. Would you try to make this journey on the Appalachian Trail? You like hiking. This is the hike. 
In America, at least. Yeah, but they... I did not believe for a second that they were through hikers. Like, no, they like, looked like they were going out for a, a day trip. Yeah, they're but, day hikers. Yeah, no, people who do those through hikes are definitely another level of hikers. Um, no, I'm more of a hike between five and ten miles in and then set up camp kind of guy Mm -hmm. and hang out at camp and cook food and i'm not out there to push myself i've never done a super long distance hike like that that's like 100 miles or whatever the most i've done is like 10 miles in 10 miles out or a little loop something like that uh so previously i've done the longest i've gone is 13 on a hike, I've I've done more on a race, but I've done 13 in a hike. And uh, it's like out to our local park and back to our house. Now, the other day, I went to the park, my wife dropped me off, and I walked back. So six and a half miles. Um, and I'm in the beautiful woods. There's a river that runs alongside part of it. You can kind of go off the trail a little bit and go down. I found some... Uh, I don't think I sent you pictures this time, but some some deer, uh, a couple does, like drinking from the river. Um, and I walk back to the trail, and I'm keeping far to the right because there's a bunch of bikes that going past every once in a while, and I've got my headphones on. And all of a sudden, something brushes my arm very quickly, and I hear a slapping sound, and I jump nearly out of my pants. And I look down and there's a rat snake on the ground that had fallen from the tree, hit me in the arm and then landed. And I was horrified. (laughs) I wanted to get picked up right then, except for I was still like three miles deep into the woods. Is that snake just fucking with you? Like a practical joke? It felt like it. It really was like, this is a goof, right? Like, it, he waited for me to walk underneath and then jumped. <laughs> also, snakes and trees. You know, yeah. I, I like to think of just snakes on the ground. Um, I never think of snakes committing aerial attacks on me like that. Well, and suddenly I got very worried about snakes in the water, too. Like, because I'm pretty sure any kind of water snake. They'll kill you. They'll just, they'll just kill you. They kill you. That's what happens. Not all water snakes. I mean, there are super bad water snakes, but that doesn't mean not all snakes. And some land snakes can swim. Ah, uh, I, I don't like the way they move. It's horrifying. But yeah, uh, so as soon as I was watching this movie and they're like, hey, let's go off of the trail. <laughs> I was like, no, don't go off the trail. Why did you choose this movie? We kind of glanced past that a little bit. Oh, uh, it seemed like another trip gone wrong movie. That was okay. That wasn't too on the nose because, like, I figured Duel would be too on the nose. Also, I don't know if there's a lot to talk about with Duel. Duel. I think. I think the the main thing I would talk about with Duel is that you could really look at Duel. As a movie that gives a character's anxiety a literal voice. Mm-hmm. And so as he's driving around and sitting in the diner 
It's like you hear his anxiety thoughts talking to himself, and it's like the little thoughts that you can't stop. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that was quite the intention, but I think it's a good example of of runaway thoughts. The the intrusive thoughts, yeah. But that's about it. Other than that, it would be like, oh, car drive fast, and then car get away, and then, oh, truck is back. And car get, oh, truck is back again. <laughs> Just... It's it's Jaws with a truck. Not to belittle it in any way, shape, or form. Traws. Juck. <laughs> I like Juck better. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, so we get we get our millennial group here, and we have the whole millennial crew of representation we have a gay couple we have a biracial couple we have a frat boy white guy who's the group asshole we got everyone on board here and um so basically the message of this movie is misunderstanding right lack of communication and prejudice essentially are bad and you shouldn't do them Although, given the ending, not the very ending, but a few minutes before that, um, the racists and the homophobes can be good guys once in a while. Right. Well, so that's the thing, because like as they pull into town, the Adam, the guy who we'll refer to again and again as the asshole, someone says, like, quaint, as they pull into the town, and he's like, yeah, if you like a town that looks like it's at home in the Confederacy or whatever. But it shows a shot of the town, and it just looks like a small town, and there's not a single Confederate flag. Right. There's, there's some American flags, but... So right off the bat, this guy putting this judgment on this town that this is this is a racist, hick town, without even knowing anything about it, or having any evidence of that. The problem is, he's right. That's, <laughs> I wish that he wasn't right, or he wasn't so pervasively right, but right off the jump, when they try to check into the motel, or hotel, uh, Holiday Inn, what have you, uh, the proprietress gives them looks up and down, like the two guys holding hands, the interracial couple, um, it's just not the kind of thing you do in a small town. Yeah. I could see that for sure. And it's it it's interesting what this movie tries to do with this small town of like skirting that line back and forth of as you said hicks can be okay sometimes or sometimes even shitty people can do the right thing. Um I noted the locals hate the interracial relationships and the gays. Uh uh, there's a big uh-oh. I put a big uh-oh with that. Oh, that's when uh, Adam probably makes some dickish comment about under the guy's breath as he's walking away at the bar about him being some, like, hick, whatever. Yes. And the, guy's, the guy just turns around like, what'd you say? I heard every word you just said. So this is, yes, I will say these townies could be better people, but these people could be better guests in this town. They are 
pretty fucking annoying tourists who are so condescending right off the bat. And why? Like, I would assume that they'd be a little cool. Uh, they reminded me of the the totally insufferable characters from the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre, although not quite as bad. Yes, these people were about two notches turned down from that. And that movie will always have the record of, as John put it, like, uh, I was watching this movie with a few friends last night, and John said, uh, do you think other movies are now relieved that Texas Chainsaw Massacre set the lowest ceiling, like the lowest floor possible with that now you're canceled bro moment in the <laughs> Texas Chainsaw Massacre? <laughs> like no one can do worse than that. So there's only it, it's like a it's like a safety net below you when you're making a movie these days. That's uh, and especially in that franchise, like. I didn't think the movie overall was as bad as that moment, but that's the lowest moment in the franchise. <laughs> that's the worst oh, part. so bad. Yeah. But you don't, are you telling me when you go to local small towns, you don't like to get into like a, a smug off competition with the local where you tell them about how your friends are app developers and bistro owners and double masters havers. You don't do that. If I was trying to talk about, uh, my my friends having real jobs, none of those would be... I wouldn't include any of those. I'm sorry. Not to a guy... Those aren't real jobs. No. Like, apt to... <sighs> yeah. And, and this, is, this is coming from a guy who... Uh, I've had the title Creative Director. Like, I wouldn't <laughs> brag about my own job. I would make some shit up. <laughs> <laughs> so they go back to their car... Someone's hanging out by their car, so Adam immediately decides to throw a beer bottle at them. Again, like, maybe just say hello, <laughs> as opposed to just chucking a bottle at someone. Or, or just keep your head down. Don't do anything. Just go right? about your way. Uh, uh, Darius uh, wants to build a community that is a meritocracy, and everyone works and shares, and that, like, socialist utopia kind of thing um this isn't really relevant but that's never stopped us before uh almost consistently in my notes i spelled darius like various except for with a d okay you're throwing that o in there yes interesting and i couldn't stop myself like i was like that's not how you spell darius but uh <laughs> so when they start on this hike and oh, Darius, you missed the yes. you missed the part where uh, our main girl goes for a run before she's going for a hike. She goes for a yeah. I, uh, she goes for a nice jog after a night drinking. Yeah, yeah. It. I was like, this. First of all, it doesn't make any sense. Secondly, you've already had beef with this town. Like, stay away. You could just stay in your hotel. And do some push-ups and some sit-ups or something if you want to get your exercise in. Uh, you don't need to be out running around. And especially when there's some True Detective Season 1 shit going on in this town with the creepy little girl and the woman selling bracelets. Like, you don't want any part of, of any of this that's happening. I love creepy little forest children. <laughs> <laughs> Coming out of the woods, 
not saying a fucking word, looking at everyone all weird, being all dirty. Forest children, maybe, may you never change. So when they get going on the hike and Darius yells back at them, This is fucking awesome! That makes me, like, shrivel with cringe that runs through my entire body, and I can't quite explain why, <laughs> except that that's just, like, such, like, a millennial selfie-taking video-sharing thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it seems like he's definitely in it for the spectacle. I don't know. But wherever... Do you know where this movie is shot? Because that view from that outlook is really beautiful. Yeah, I definitely... Uh, both of these movies have some great scenery in them. Uh, yeah, I, it says principal photography began in Ohio. So, hey. I, I, I didn't know Ohio had giant forests like this. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I wouldn't think it'd be quite this cool, but that is where, like, Southern Ohio, it's uh, still part of Appalachia. Yeah, that makes sense. I didn't see a single Buckeye, though. What's a Buckeye, Sean? A nut? <laughs> I don't know. What is a Buckeye? A Buckeye is a little peanut butter ball dipped in chocolate. That can't be what they're... <laughs> states named after <laughs> no it's a, it's a kind of nut i think they're poisonous uh but there is a candy uh type thing that you eat gotcha well um i do like the start of this movie so many horror movies immediately start with everyone bickering and hating each other so it is nice at the beginning here to see like positive representations of these relationships and a group of friends that seem to enjoy each other's company and enjoy this hike that they're going on. It, it's just a, a nice to have a little bit of group bonding before shit hits the fan. Or, should I say, before log hits the tree. Ooh. Oh. That, the whole my sequence notes, I, is amazing. In my notes, all I typed was, log! I think I had uh, log rolling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Log coming, everyone eats shit, and, uh, the only, well, I was gonna say the only thing that grossed me out was Darius's finger, but that's, that's not the only thing that grossed me out I would this. hope not. That dude, who, one dude gets smashed against the tree, mm -hmm. that prosthetic of his smashed head is pretty fucking incredible. Yeah, there's a couple in here that, um... They're scarring, I think. Whoever they paid to make all of their smashed heads has an alarming ability to recreate a smashed head that leads me to believe that person is some kind of Dexter-ish serial killer that uses their experience as a real serial killer to then become a better movie prop artist. Uh, That's a good idea for a show. That really is. It's uh, you should make that. Okay, I'll get on it. I'll star in it. Uh, I could see that a little too easily. L let the beard go for a while longer. I, I could almost cry on cue. I feel like if you put a little earbud in my ear and I told you what song to play, and then you could time it where it's like, all right, as soon as I hit play, 
you will have tears rolling down your eyes 10 seconds from that point. I, I think I could do it. What, um, what would be the song that I could play that would get you to cry through your earbud there? Modest Mouse, Wooden Soldiers is a good one. Mm. There's another one by that band called Fiddlehead, which I think I sent you. Yes. Um, it's, it's the intro track. It's just like a little synth part and some old man's voice. It sounds like it's a recording from a movie or TV show. I carry your heart with me. I carry it in my heart. I am never without it. Anywhere I go, you go. Listening to that, that album like came out during quarantine. So like listening to that combined with just the feeling, the vibe of those synths and everything. For whatever reason, man, like as soon as I hit play on that album, I'm like I'm feeling emotional. Twenty seconds later, yeah, uh, that reminded me of um, oh the grandfather in um, or the uncle in American movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Hello, come again, come again, mm. stay, stay a while, stick around a while, stick around as long as you can, heaven help you, mm. God help you, Jesus help you. Everybody else help you. Everybody, everybody make happy. Make everybody happy. Be a comedian. (laughs) Uncle Bill. I don't know, man. Something about those scenes with Uncle Bill, they feel like some of the most profound like end of life wisdom shown in movies just like that near death wisdom that you gain and even though it's outputted through a bit of a kooky old man who can't quite get the wording straight of of these ideas i think the ideas he's presenting are truly beautiful oh for sure and it's um <sighs> It's almost more effective because of his state, I think, because uh, I think that he has reverted to a certain like gut level of honesty and naivety at that point. Um, it kind of like something from a child seems really profound. Uh, I think it's it's even more because uh, he's lived with it and he does have that wisdom and that viewpoint and. He's Bill has an inability to lie in that movie. Like when, uh, when things are going wrong on the movie, he's just like, what is this shit? And <laughs> I, <laughs> when he goes, you gotta have faith, Bill. And he goes, faith and nothing. <laughs> oh, that's a good movie. We should talk about that movie sometime. <laughs> So, Luis is totally broken because his partner has been smashed. The rain clouds are coming in. But, wait, there's someone up there on the hill. Yo, that's where it gets really Blair Witchy, but they are smarter than the Blair Witch crew. That was my... (laughs) 
That's what I noticed. I was like, they've got more going on upstairs than the Blair Witch Crew did. Yeah, well, they also have the sense that when they're wandering at night in the pouring rain, that they are lost. Mm -hmm. And so it is better to just set up camp than to keep wandering around. And this is where the movie really takes, like, the turn. Um, So, you want to talk about... We always talk about the whole movie as a whole. Mm -hmm. So to go back for a second, where'd that log come from? I don't know, and I'm not sure how it actually rolls that far down the hill. Like Because there's no indication that that was a trap set there. I I think that... I think that uh, one of the foundation members just pushes it, or several of the, the members. But why would they do that? Because it's not like these people are hiking. I feel like they're not invading their territory yet, because they're on like the main trail, and it's. But they're not on the main trail. They've already ventured off to go find the Civil War site. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, that's right, because they end up at a graveyard. Yes. They camp at a graveyard, so they are nearby. Okay, well, if that log was pushed by a Foundation member, then that kind of defeats the entire purpose of this movie being a movie about lack of communication and uh, crossed wires and misintentioned threats and whatnot. Well, and that's what I don't quite get is later when they're having the trial and you know the chief is like we're doing an eye for an eye situation here um technically they already got that like oh log for a log yeah Yeah. smashed head for smashed head so i i honestly i think i i don't think it's intended that that was a trap i However it happened, I I think the movie is trying to tell the story that that was just an incidental log that happened to be rolling around the forest just doing its thing. (laughs) Because that's the only way the message of the movie really makes sense to me. Otherwise, it, it, it doesn't really add up at all. God, see, I had assumed that it was them, but now you're kind of... Blowing my mind. It wouldn't make like the 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 chief, the brother's outrage when the hunter brother, his outrage. Yeah, and the chiefs, it 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 wouldn't make sense. It would all be like completely misplaced, and it it would the movie wouldn't make sense if this was an intentional kill. Okay, so we're gonna. But I don't I don't know how a log just happens to roll down a hill though. Yes. And especially, like, for the path to be cleared, for it to roll that far. Because where it stops is where it has to stop, because it hits a tree. Yeah, it's a big log, though. Yeah. That's, big log. I mean, it could definitely take down some of the saplings that are in the way. Yeah. So it's time to set up camp for the night, because it's pouring rain. So they set up their tents, and then Mila, asshole's wife, disappears. And then in the morning, Adam finds a bunch of headstones, and they also find, oh, this is where they find that plaque mm-hmm. from 1859 that says, like, a dozen families pledged their lives to build a community as, they're basically, like, end-of-the-world preppers, because they think the Civil War will 
be the downfall of society, right? Yeah, they're also, uh, I mean, they are called the foundation. They're, they're fundamentalist, I think, uh, outsiders. It's, it's kind of like an inverse version of the village is what I felt like. Yes. I was definitely thinking of the village a lot throughout this movie. Yeah. Especially after having listened to your wonderful appearance on our friend (laughs) George's show, the best little horror house in Philly. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, yeah, go listen to Josh on that show as they talk about M. Night Shyamalan's widely underappreciated The Village. That's, uh, I do love that movie. I love M. Night Shyamalan, even when he's making weird shit, like old. Like, his direction is just, it's so much fun. Old is fun, man. Mm -hmm. Old is just, old is a good time. And if you don't want to have a good time watching that movie, that's your choice. But I feel like you're choosing. To not have fun. Yes, that's definitely on the viewer because, the, I mean, it came from a comic book. Like, you, you can't argue with it's it's a goofy premise, and he takes it to its goofy conclusion, and I love that. Um. So they wake up. Mila's gone. The phones are gone. I don't really know what's up with the phones being gone. How did they make that happen? I don't know because, again. To this point, nothing has actually happened because those two hunter brothers are walking around. And then that's why Mila is out peeing and Mila ends up hiding from them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think anyone at any point from the foundation raided their camp and took their phones. Also, if they wanted to kill them or, or capture them or whatever, they could have done that. While they're sleeping. Yes. Yeah. So, Adam is an aggro dick because he sees that little girl, and like you do when you want to talk to a child, you scream at them threateningly, and that's always what gets a kid to come over and talk to you. <laughs> and uh, what do you think of this, this chain trap that drags him into the hole? I know it's weird, but this looks kind of fun to film, to like get dragged along the dirt. Uh-huh. As long as, like, the production crew had cleared out the rocks and the path and everything, so it was just some nice muddy dirt that you're being dragged through. It looks kind of fun. For my other show, I've been watching a lot of westerns lately, and I'm always watching guys get dragged around by horses. Uh, so this is... V- that does not look as much fun. Well, no, because horses are terrifying. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to be on the ground near a horse. That's just... That's uh, physics. But this did seem maybe kind of like a slightly muddy slip and slide situation. Yeah. 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 Except for when's the last last time you were on a slip and slide? Um, It's been it's has to been like 15 years or something. Uh, We did like an adult slip and slide with a with a tarp. Yeah, uh, that's a good time. It's been like. 20 plus years for me. It's real. It's a real shame. I feel like just when I was a kid in the 90s, those were advertised constantly. Yeah, they were ubiquitous. Every single Nickelodeon show would have kids. And then there was the ones that you could like hook up the hose. So it would have little (laughs) waterfalls, like little streaming jets of water over Mm -hmm. the slip and slide. Oh, good times. But Good times. You, you got to put some Dawn soap down to to really 
Whoa. Get your speed going. That's how you slide right over the <laughs> landing pad and end up with, like, grass burn on yes. your ass, huh? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, what happens next? My next note is the dudes are carrying Adam on the pole. Like he's a, a roast pig. Yeah. Um, he, he, does, he got dragged straight into the hole, and then they're, they're carrying him around. Okay, I was going to ask, why does he have a bag on his head? But it actually makes sense if, if their plan truly is to, like, nurse him back to health or take care of him and then release him back into the wild or whatever, you know. Like, I don't think these people are set on killing Adam yet because why else would they put a bag on his head? But the townspeople later, and even uh, the guy earlier, alludes to it that, like, people go into the woods and they don't come back. Yes, that's true. Which, if this is truly part of the Appalachian Trail, um, that doesn't, like, they'd have to be killing hundreds of people (laughs) because it's a very populated uh, trail. They must have gone off trail in that night when they got lost after the log roll. So the log roll must have happened on the actual Appalachian Trail. And then after that, as they tried to get out, that's when they got lost. Be my assumption? Yeah, I think they went from being going off trail to being incredibly lost. So Darius, being a macho bro that he is, grabs a climbing axe and runs out there and threatens them. And, uh, I mean, I get it. It's, it's two big men in ghillie suits with skull masks on their faces. Uh, cool skull masks on their faces, by the way. I love the masks in these movies, in this movie. Uh, speaking some weird language. So I kind of get it, but I don't know. It's hard for me to say, like, Darius should have just walked out there and said, like, hey, that's my friend. But is there is there a balance? Is there is there a point in between sprinting out there and threatening them? And like how how do you handle this? I mean, I think de-escalation is the path to take, not threatening. People don't believe in de-escalation in this movie, and I think again and again. I feel like if the protagonist had de-escalated at some point, a, a lot of this could have been avoided. Yes. Because uh, Adam gets up, and uh, Adam finds a log. And it would be one thing if he hit this guy once with the log and mm-hmm. knocked him down. Maybe you could like still argue that it was self-defense. But when you smash his head nine more times on the ground until it just becomes a watermelon, you're not getting away with self-defense anymore. <laughs> no, and both of these movies have uh, characters put into lose-lose situations. At least in this one, it's by his own actions. You know, in the other one, John does everything to Jim. Uh, here it is Adam is the one who who damns them all, I think. Again and again, because Adam sucks. Yes. If you're out there, listeners, and you have an Adam in your group of friends, why not just cut him out of that group? (laughs) I'm just saying. So when they're 
trying to get away. Oh, so the the other dude runs away, the other hunter guy. And then, like, literally the second Adam says, I had to, Mila turns up. <laughs> and she's yeah. like, what are you doing? I was just out peeing. <laughs> and then the, the, that was that was the real, oh, no, moment of the movie for me. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shit. Uh, and now this is where you start to really get... Now we get the group horror dynamic that you you know to love and hate, which is everybody bickering and everyone bickering in relationships. Yeah, you you love to hate it. Um, Darius gets hit by one of the traps. Yeah, but okay. Darius is such a badass guy that he gets a spike through the shoulder, and he's just kind of like, eh, whatever. <laughs> It's like when, he's like Cameron Poe when he gets shot in the arm in Con Air and just like walks through it and is just like eh, I'm just gonna ignore that. Uh, and then there's the other trap. <laughs> oh. oh well, the the trees are alive, man. Yeah, there's like that one tree man who grabs Luis. Tree man is pretty cool. The guy who's mm-hmm. like face is all tree barked up and then you see the eyes open um and i also just think the idea of like someone dressed as a tree running out of the forest and grabbing you is scary and it reminds me a lot of the nickelodeon show legends of the hidden temple hidden temple where kids would have to go into this hidden temple at the end of the show and do like obstacle courses but at any time there might be a bad guy like lying in the ball pit or hiding behind a door and he would just like reach out and grab the kids, and then that would end their game. Uh, even as a youngster, that was too much for me. I would, I mean, you know, you always dream of like, oh, I get called up to be on the game show or whatever. Like, I want to do Supermarket Sweep when I get older. Uh, Hidden Temple was like, no, no, I do not want that. Who were these kids that had so much confidence that they were willing to go on Nickelodeon game shows? Because I was not one of them. I had dreams of, like, I could go on that arcade show where they just, like, play video games Mm -hmm. against each other. And I could do so much better or whatever. But there was not a chance in hell I was going anywhere near a TV camera as a kid. Right. No, I definitely was not one of those uh, stage kind of kids. Yeah. No, God, no. Um, so after this, let's see here. Oh, Adam loses his shit because he's all PTSD'd out, and so he thinks that the forest is alive, and so he bolts with Mila, and so now we get the two couples split up. Oh, this is where Mila, oh man, when Mila eats shit into this spike trap, uh-huh. the way she hits the lip, the edge of the the trap... She takes that hit so hard with like her torso and chin. It just it looks so painful. Not even the spikes itself, but just how she falls into the trap looks so painful. That's the spikes don't hurt because it's that thing where I can't relate to spikes going through my chest and right through my kneecap. But falling and eating shit, I totally like, yeah, you've busted your chin like skateboarding or something at some point in time. Totally. Yeah, and this moment where Adam looks down at her and she sees that Adam's like looking around because he's going to bail and she goes, look at me, fucking look at me. 
uh, it reminded me kind of of like heat with Wayne Grow of like you're you're going to look at me before you fuck me over mm-hmm. or whatever. It's kind of the opposite with Wayne Grow, but still that idea. And this also makes me think of I like moments in a horror movie where a character just chooses cowardice and just bails yes. in the face of like nobility. And the ultimate moment of that for me is always the 28 weeks later intro mm-hmm. with Robert Carlyle, which we'll, we'll spoil the intro to that movie, but it's a pretty good movie. I like that sequel. I do too. But the, the intro to 28 weeks later is amazing. And when he's, he's going to go into the bedroom to save his wife and then the infected runs in and he just like turns and bolts <laughs> and just bails on her. That's <laughs> I love that moment because it's, it is real though, and I think we always like to think of ourselves as like nobility, choosing the high road kind of people, but when it comes down to truly fight or flight survival instincts, I don't think any of us really know how we're going to respond. Uh, except for, as I've noted multiple times, I would fall down crying and never stop. <laughs> That's, I think that would be my response to most of these situations. See, I think you would do the badass thing first, like, you would kill someone with a log and smash their head in ten times that was trying to kill you, and then the emotions would come out and you would be in a fetal position crying. But I, th- I still think you would get it done. Well, thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. Um, so, uh, yeah, Mila gets uh, euthanized with an arrow. So, at least the Foundation folks are being kind, right? Right. Like she she could just lay there and suffocate on her own blood, but no, we get a she gets an arrow to the face. And Darius and Jen are hiding in a real cool location. What do you think of this location where it's almost like a maze, this little valley in between these rock walls that you can kind of slide into and hide? I would totally expect to come out in a fairy realm if I went through that rock. <laughs> End up on the set of True Blood. Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I like that Darius gets yoinked from above. Like, someone just grabs him by the collar and is just like, whoop, up you go. <laughs> they, they should, there should have been a slide whistle on that. <laughs> what? Why don't we use slide whistles in our media anymore? It's a real shame. <laughs> and uh, Jen gets her head slammed into the wall and uh, fade to the suburbs. Okay, their house is so clean. I it annoys me when I watch movies because it's it's clear that like every time a movie is set inside a house, a crew has cleaned that thing for like six hours to make it spotless. Mm-hmm. And so every time I watch a movie, I just feel like a dirtbag because I look around at my house and the mess that it is, and I'm just like. Ah, oh, I should I should live in like a pristine manner every day, but it's just you can't do it. It's not possible. No, it's not realistic. Uh, and- um, what happens here? Modine hits the road again. Where it, we kind of reset with Modine and kind of like watch him do the same thing over again. Yeah, it's a little. Uh, I I get that they kind of wanted to start with him like. Because it'd be weird if you didn't introduce him until this point, but yeah, it's, it's a little redundant. Yeah, that would, I, I don't, 
we've talked before about the idea of like using that mechanic where you show a shot or a scene from a halfway or two thirds of the way through your movie and then you go back to the beginning and I think that's overused and often used to detriment of the movie because it spoils itself. However, if we cut to the suburbs from this and suddenly introduced Matthew Modine 45 minutes or an hour into this movie, however far we are, it would feel really, really jarring. Yeah. Is it, so I'm going to go back to uh, our heroine and she's in a hole tied up. Jen's in a stone cell, yeah, and uh, she gets bucket water and bucket food from the guard, and uh, I'm going to call the guard from now on, like, Chief Daughter or something, because she, she's kind of a prominent player, but I don't think we get a name for her. Uh, what did you think of the bread floating in the, the bucket there? Yeah, it's bucket bread. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, it's probably not dry. No, it'd be... Uh, it's. I can't imagine some uh, just soggy, wet bread. Well, you've never been in a hot dog eating competition, have you? No, and I hope to never be. If you don't soak the bun in the water, you're not doing it right. Uh, how many Nathan's hot dog eating competitions have you watched? You know, there is a time, there was an eating competition show that made its way to Fox. Mm -hmm. And and I remember watching the premiere of that when I was a kid. And it was like, every single person is given a five pound block of butter. Put four minutes on the clock. Three, two, one, eat. And then it was just like, and there was one guy that was, they nicknamed him Moses because he looked like Moses or something. Uh -huh. And so the way they were like, wow, look at that technique Moses has for eating butter. Because instead of chewing off big chunks and then chewing them, he was basically doing the rabbit approach where he was just taking like thousands of tiny nibbles of this butter block. It was one of the most disgusting things I've watched. But mm. I also used to watch that. What's the guy's name? Takashi? Before we got Joey Chestnut, yeah, I think his name was Takashi, that that little guy who could eat like fifty five hot dogs, and he always blew my mind. Yeah, where did he put them? I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't want to know. There's something like wrong with his body. You'd have to have like an impacted colon after that, I would think. Yeah, or his his mom somehow was impregnated by a bull and so he has like two or three cow stomachs that's the only way i don't want to delve into that that sounds horrifying we should move on <laughs> yes please um speaking of bulls we have an old-timey village full of like chickens and other farm animals and kids and people tanning leather and blacksmiths and uh it looks like an old-timey renaissance fair out there. This is where I made the note of it's like the negative image of the village. Uh, because all these people are... Uh, they're all living out in nature. There's no civilization, it doesn't look like. No, no traces of it. But they do have a justice system. And so we're going to go into the courtroom. What do you think of this courtroom set? Um, it's honestly a little cheap looking. Like, 
it looks like they built a room and then kind of sprayed it down with foam and made it a little damp. And that's that's okay. kind of the set. I didn't notice that. I, I liked the decoration aesthetics of torches on the wall and antlers everywhere and, and vines growing over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I didn't notice that, yeah, the cheesiness of the set itself, so... The okay, did you think that the chief was incredibly well groomed? Yeah, I uh, he's got a good beard, especially because uh, I have access to trimmers right now and my beard doesn't look that good. Mm-hmm. And his, his hair, he's got like a nice kind of fade and then you know, uh, uh, kind of a comb over looking thing, but it's really cool. He looks like a hipster. I like this guy's performance. In this movie, I I think he's got a real good voice mm-hmm. for this part. And I I think that's the strongest part of his performance. Actually, is just uh, his voice. I'm trying to find his name. I can't find it. Uh, I just, I mean, it doesn't matter what else he's in. He'll be the chief. Yeah. Uh, his gavel is way cooler than our gavels. Oh, yeah. Instead of just having, like, a lame little gavel that's, like, bang, 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 he has a big mallet that goes, like, boom, boom, boom. Also, fuck the Supreme Court. <laughs> I've noted a couple times that we're not a, and I've steered away from them, but we're not a political podcast, but... I'd rather have this guy, this chief, on the Supreme Court than the people we have up there now. Uh, 100%. Also, it's insane that we allow nine people who aren't even voted on to set policy. How does that... Just insane. How does that happen? I don't know. That's why when people are like, the Constitution says I have the right to a gun, and blah, 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 I'm just like, yeah, but the Constitution's also full of really dumb shit, too. Like, we we can't be taking the, t- the Constitution literally at this point. We need to change some things. Uh, I concur 100%. All right, that's the end of our political coverage, and back to this movie. Uh, how cool are the blacksmith knives that everyone has in this little village? I like the like the raw aesthetic of the knives. Mm-hmm. And uh, when the daughter slash translator, she's, you know, they're doing the whole courtroom procedure. Whatever's going on with the torch lighting, her eyes are absolutely popping mm-hmm. inside this room. They are like glowing blue. She's uh, she's very striking looking overall yeah i think she was actually really good casting because she does have a little bit of a feral forest woman look to her Mm -hmm. uh so we're gonna recount the sins of the people and uh the part where they bring the brother hunter out this is when it's really like oh shit because now we learn that you know the hunters were there actually trying to help adam and their trap supposedly drags animals into the cave to protect it from predators. I don't know if that's a real thing or not, but it isn't this. <laughs> they say it is, so it's fine. Yeah. Then they bring out the little girl. She points at Adam as the killer. And then uh, Adam decides to go full Tom Sizemore and takes the little girl as a human hostage. <sighs> Adam's the worst. Just just keeps making things worse for himself at every turn, doesn't he? And everybody else. Yeah. But how badass is it that that little girl, of course she's carrying a knife. Every, 
every farmer and their mums are carrying out here. <laughs> Little girl stabs him, and they all get sentenced to darkness for lying, and uh, Adam gets sentenced to death. The it's once again it's an eye for an eye uh, situation, except for they're taking actual eyes. Oh, when uh, yeah, when the chief asked how was Samuel murdered, I just responded log. <laughs> Is this where? Jin uh, convinces Venable, that's the chief's name is Venable, uh, that she's, she's worthy of staying alive. Uh, we gotta, we gotta smash Adam's face in first. Oh, yeah. So that happens with a nice log. It's a good log that the chief uses. And then, uh, yeah, now we're heading towards the darkness area. Luis tries to run and gets a knife in the back and hot poker in the eyes. Ugh. What do you... Th what's going on with the darkness zone in this area? Because I, I, I understand it as a punishment, but people who live in the darkness seem to survive there a long time, which tells me that someone's, like, responsible for feeding and watering these people. And I don't... They just seem to be living for a long time. Yeah, because there's quite a few of them down there. There's a lot of them. Unless they've darknessed like a dozen people in the last week. I don't know what's going on here. But it's really gross. What do you think of... Like... Sometimes this movie shows the really, really graphic stuff. And then other times... It, it does a little bit of a cutaway, like it does here with a hot poker, where it's kind of shot from behind Luis's perspective. Mm -hmm. Or with Adam, with Adam, both when he kills the guy and when Adam is killed, we don't see like the first log hit, but we see about the fourth or fifth log hit after it's already kind of pulp. Yes. I mean, that's just for, for ease of shooting, I would think. I would think so, right? Just... Because then, by then, your prosthetic doesn't have to actually look like a person. Yes, and I do appreciate the fact that apparently most of this is done with prosthetics and not much CGI. Uh, I like to see real blood rather than the CGI blood. Yeah, I didn't... There's only a few shots, really. I think more so when the, the gun comes out later that we might get some more CGI gore. Mm -hmm. This is where Jen offers... Uh, her body, because she's a healthy woman who can bear children, and offers Darius to work, because Darius gets his wish. He always wanted to work in a society like this, and now he gets to live in one. It, it felt a little on the nose. A little, yeah. The dramatic irony was a little too strong. Yes. Yeah, I could see that. That's. I could see that. Later, when he decides to stay, I was like, he's never shown a proclivity for this before. Like, oh, but Josh, how it's, I feel like this, this Stockholm syndrome would be so strong in me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was wondering, I was like, how long would it take for me to just accept that I live out here and this is my new life? And I think I settled on about three days. <laughs> it's, and they have to be there for like five weeks. Oh, right. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when Jen says that she's a healthy woman or whatever, the daughter, chieftain daughter lady, inspects her like a dog at the Westminster Dog Show. Like, pulling back her ears and checking her gums. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, but the the nice thing is they're friends now. Good for them. Movie's over. They're going to live in this commune uh, and everything's going to be great. We're chilling now. Yeah. Yeah. And who cares if the chief says as she's disrobing, you're not as strong as you pretend to be. Ooh. Yeah, that was a kind of a a dickish line at the end of a very long hard day for her. <laughs> Just the fact that she survived makes it she's pretty tough to me. Yeah, and we're going to jump back now to the the dad story. Does this dad remind you of um the side story in Misery? With the old-timey sheriff who's just kind of bumbling around, slowly getting closer and closer to solving the mystery? Not really, because every time we see him, he's making some sort of forward progress. Like, it's he is getting information, and things are happening to him. It's, it's less bumbling? Yes. He's, he's much more effective. Yeah, so what do you think about his whole time in town with all the local townies? Um. I'm not sure that the method of them trying to warn him away is is all that good. But to just to beat the shit out of him without telling him why? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's, I feel like there's there's more cogent ways to explain your point than that. Yeah. Uh, and it feels like maybe that would just cause him to double down, which it does. Right. You know, and they tell him that, like, you, as you said before, oh, those woods out there, people go out there, don't come back. I feel like somebody should put this information in Google Maps, so that way when I look up, like, Appalachian Trail, I can see a little zone on Google Maps that shows just, like, a dark zone, and it's like, people who go here don't come back. I'm like, okay, I won't go there, I'll go around. Yeah, there should be a, a Yelp review for the foundation. Like, a Google Maps horror filter mm-hmm. just to like show like oh possibility of cannibal mutants out there okay let's uh let's take the long road around honey all it has to say is here there be dragons and i'd be like okay i have no questions i'm fine with that the lady from the inn does help him the next day and finds a hunting guide for him she takes him to flannel man <laughs> is that is that his name flannel man well yeah because if you live in a small town and you're a hunter, I feel like there's nothing you would rather wear than flannel in a generic brown baseball hat, which is this guy's uniform. Mm-hmm. Flannel man cracks me up because he goes out there with his son for $5,000 and, oh, flannel man's like a badass. And he tells them about the the trips, or the, the trip wires out there and all the traps. But he doesn't account for the double trap after right. his son falls in a hole. And as his foot gets closer and closer to that stick tripwire, I'm just, this is like a moment from a Final Destination movie where it's like, you know, death is coming and it's so much fun. Or just like the Rube Gold machine is almost activated. Yes. And then you get this death and it's fucking, this is hilarious. These two people dying in this hole like this is hilarious. That's, uh, I think I wrote whelp <laughs> because... That's like, well, there goes the Sherpa. He's he, the dude's built up, and then like approximately ninety seconds later, is killed. Matthew Modine is like, all right, I got to take things one step at a time, and the editor immediately edits to a cut of him leaping from boulder to boulder with all of his feet at all time. Mm-hmm. 
he's uh like would this have caused you to to turn around and go back yeah he doesn't seem very he seems like nonplussed by it yes and he finds the foundation people pretty easily he finds that their encampment you know for some guy from the city is a real city slicker uh he seems to be able to track them down without much problem which if the townsfolk really did have a problem with them it seems like this would have happened long ago they don't seem to be hiding themselves very well no i mean the fact that the chief's daughter goes into town with with ruthie uh and they sell their their wares that's that's a good point that i had not thought of yeah. so these people are just they're just chilling with a weird village kind of th- society outside their skirt uh-huh. god damn on the outskirts of their town outside their skirts that makes sense don't i didn't say that josh i edited that, that part out okay good uh and he finds uh darius there first and darius yeah darius kidnaps him basically with another guy and D- darius has a moose mask on which i think is pretty badass mm-hmm. so modine gets his gun out Shoots it twice in the air and immediately gets shot in the arm with an arrow, which I found to be hilarious how inept this man is. Like, he really thought that, like, I have a boomstick! And, like, he was gonna scare everyone off, and that, that it didn't work like that. Nobody moves at all, and then his own daughter shoots him in the arm. And Jen is dressed like Aloy at the start of Horizon Zero Dawn, when you just have, like, the level one outfit on before you've really upgraded it. Mm-hmm. I haven't played that game, so I wrote that she was dressed like Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, what's the next scene? The nighttime evacuation mission that Jen starts? Yep. And, uh, yeah, Darius wants to stay. Oh, whatever, dude, you can stay if you want. Um, and Ruthie, the little girl, says that the only way through is through the darkness. That's the only exit. Mm-hmm. So, that one dude is bringing a woman who had her eyes gouged out back to the darkness? I didn't like that. The, the, no. I don't like the implications of I, that. I don't... No, I'm not a fan of that implication. And that just... I didn't like that. It's, is that the same guy that says, I can smell your juices? Ugh. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. Well... Um, they find Luis in there, and Jen shoots him on the way out and euthanizes him. And, uh, oh, and that one guy that they shoot in the darkness, I I think it's funny that the the darkness people are feasting on his body, just like the German shepherd in the previous movie. (laughs) Though Jen and the, the daughter get in a fight, they roll off the ledge back into that little rocky area. Gross dude says, I can smell your juices. So Jen decides to stab the ever-living fuck out of him. And it's it seems to cut to, like, two minutes later. And we see Jen, like, exhausted. She's She's tired herself out stabbing this man. Yet she's still stabbing him in the face. And just, she, like, she's, like you said, she's exhausted. Her arm is mechanically moving up and down at this point. And she's covered in blood and, like, crying at the same time. It's pretty, pretty wicked. His face. (laughs) 
She started with the ribs. And yeah, I mean, that that seems reasonable. She built up to it. Yeah, there's some good squishy sounds when she starts stabbing him. So what do you what do you think about kills like these where a character just goes so over the top that they obliterate somebody into almost nothingness? The the weight that it should carry is a little bit lessened by the fact that we've seen it three times before in this movie. Yes, I, I, yeah, I think had Adam's kill maybe been more incidental or just like killing that person, hitting them in the head with the log one time. Yeah. That then this transformation into this level of violence here would have more of a shocking value. And like, Jesus, how far has Jen gone? Right. So I could see that. But in general, do you find the excessive amount of the violence to be a turnoff for you, or is it really just dependent on the on the scenario or the presentation itself? I mean, it's totally. I think the scenario more than the presentation because um, the the head trauma in this reminded me of uh, Midsommar, but I found that very difficult to watch. Uh, as you know, I want to watch the director's cut, and I have not gone back to that film. But this movie I've watched twice recently. I highly recommend Director's Cut of Midsommar. Adds about 40 minutes or so, if I remember correctly. But I, I, they're good scenes. I think they bring a lot more context to that movie and just kind of round out some of the ideas that are executed later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are you next? Um, that the dad shoots the chief's daughter. Yeah. And then another guy like comes up and Jen doesn't even hesitate. She kills him with her bow and arrow like instantaneously as soon as he pops up. Yeah. Like like in the neck and the eye. Yes. She trained very quickly with that bow and arrow, huh? Four weeks and she became a fucking good shot. Yeah. She's like, uh, she's a regular Katniss Everdeen. And just when you think everything is at its last, the townies are here to save the day. And uh, I guess her diagnosis was correct and this guy is just saying fuck it my liver is going to kill me so i might as well get out here and get vengeance for my nephew who died years ago yes uh the knife knife shoot shoot there's a the rednecks shoot the foundation folks the foundation folks are attacking the rednecks because they've followed the uh jen and and dad out to the the edges of their uh, land, I guess. Which, how lucky that they headed off in that particular direction, and that the like one truckload of rednecks was there waiting for them. Well, maybe they followed Flannel Man's. They found his truck, and they knew that that would be the trail. Or I don't know. <laughs> I hear you. Um, yeah. So instead of using throwing knives, these people are throwing like giant Rambo knives. Yes, as throwing knives. And one of them goes through Jen's leg. Uh, Jen gets pretty fucked up in this movie. And um, all I said was, holy shit, Chief Guy has a double scythe. Oh, yeah. I don't know the practicality of this weapon or this tool or when you would use it. But man, it looks fucking cool. It's It really was like he was just waiting there to be iconic. He's like, uh, <laughs> I'm not going to actually I- pitch in. Right? I know they're going to throw a Molotov cocktail at me, 
but there's no way they can throw it that far. So I'm going to stand here and get fla- framed by the flames yes. and look really badass. And then we cut back to the suburbs. Yeah. And at this point, this dad and daughter, they would be on Good Morning America. They would have a book deal. The book would then get turned into a movie. I feel like they would be like celebrities after this whole event. Yes, at least for a week or two. Yeah, oh no, they'd be forgotten just as quickly. Yeah. But uh Jen is working for her dad. She delivers some plans to him. Um which that tube made me think of the beginning of uh To Live and Die in LA where uh William Peterson gives his partner a fishing rod in a tube like that, which we didn't cover, but uh, I was fascinated by the collapsible fishing rod. I was too in that movie because I feel like that's just destined to break. Yeah. But it seems like he's taking great, great pains to keep it nice. Uh, But it seems like a horrible idea to me. Right? Yeah. Jen reminds her dad that it's pizza and movie night and her stepbrothers picked a cannibal inbred cannibal movie, which movie night, which can only be wrong turn, right? Mitza night, Mitza night, <laughs> Poo- poovie night. They don't work. Uh, no, that sounds nasty. Uh, yeah. So they must be watching the original wrong turn, right? Either that or The Hills Have Eyes. Um, So, random time to bring up the whole concept of wrong turn, but might as well do it now before I forget. Mm -hmm. So, this is not a wrong turn movie. At all. Okay. I mean, it's a wrong turn movie, but those are mutant cannibal movies. Yes. However... What naming this movie Wrong Turn does for a viewer like me who had seen those mutant cannibal movies is it set me up with a predetermined notion that these people are going to go into the woods and they're going to become attacked by some kind of creature people. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it actually was a really genius setup because the twist on this movie really works on me where in the courtroom scene when you find out that they were actually trying to help and all that and the hunters and everything it worked on me because then my own prejudices about what the story was going to be changed my feelings and my interpretations of events so in a very roundabout way even though this has nothing to do with wrong turn i think it's a really clever really clever to name this movie that I also, I think the idea of doing a legacy sequel like this, but taking the original uh, concept and then twisting it so far is really cool. Like, I wish more of these movies would do that kind of thing. Now, however, I do hate that there's now three movies in existence called Halloween. That's really annoying. Or two movies called Candyman or two movies called Child's Play and oh, there's know, actually three e- even, movies called even, Child's Play yeah or today with The Hitcher uh, you know having to put the year 
after the movie title so that way you let people know which one you're talking about. It's annoying. I don't want to have to say the original Candyman. I just want to say Candyman. Don't don't keep saying Candyman, please. Oh shit. That was close. <laughs> that, that, woo, that was terrifying. I didn't even realize it. <sighs> okay. Okay. Well, the chief shows up and mom has invited him over for dinner. Uh, he looks pretty good. He doesn't have to, you know, clean up that much to be presentable in the suburbs. No. And mom also can't take a hint and has apparently no ability to read her daughter's body language whatsoever. <laughs> also, would you just invite some guy who says that he knows your family and he might be buying a house in the neighborhood over for dinner? No. I've I've had my neighbors who live next door to me over for dinner once and they've never invited me over. And and we've lived next door to each other for almost five years. So no, I'm not <laughs> inviting some random asshole who might be buying a house in my neighborhood to check it out and come eat with me. I, I think that's as it should be. Once every five years, uh you should interact with your with the people next to you, and that's about it. Well, it's their turn to host me for dinner then, isn't it? I do remember uh, the guy and his daughter came over, and she was probably like six at the time, and I had made chili, but I used a serrano pepper in there. So oh my. I, it, it was a chili that had some heat on it, so this poor kid came over, and I was just like, oh, here, I'll mix in like sour cream and some yogurt, and just like trying to add anything I could to, to knock the heat down for her. That poor child. <laughs> uh, oh and uh jen is pregnant too which is a bummer i mean and we're led to believe that it's the chiefs although it could be darius's i'm guessing oh i hadn't even i hadn't even thought about that i don't i don't think that's the implication i, I don't either yeah okay um after she sees the chief, who also is going by John, I believe. Uh, yeah. It, she rushes into the bathroom and throws up. Yet again, we got some puke acting. This looks more like spitting. <laughs> like, it's it's, it's not, not. It's it's all right. Yeah. It's all right. It's kind of orange. I don't know. It's all right. It's not the best. Um. I like that Jen has left two gigantic knives in her, like, t-shirt drawer or underwear drawer or something buried there. Mm -hmm. Although one looked like a prop knife. Like, the... Uh, you, would, you would spot that better than I would. Yeah, the all-black one just looks like the rubber knives. Okay. So she does not... So in her imagination now, she comes out and says, get the fuck away from my family. That doesn't happen. No. I don't even think she goes to the bathroom. Oh, she doesn't even get the knives. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I see that. Or she might, though, How, because of the very end of this movie. <sighs> that makes sense, yeah. But either way, I thought this movie was going to end on such a badass note where... The chief is able to kill her family 
just before she's able to kill him. Mm-hmm. I thought that was such a cool ending. And then mom starts saying, Jen, Jen, mom's dead body. And I was like, God damn it, they're going to do the dream thing. <laughs> Although I, I did like the mom with her, her eyes like rolled back in her head saying, Jen, Jen. I thought that part was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. But like I said, do the ballsy ending. Have her entire family get slaughtered at the end. Mm-hmm. Why not? Why not? It's not like we're emotionally attached to her brother and mom who have literally her mom has maybe said like five words this entire movie like and it doesn't matter to the audience if they get killed or not it's her stepmom who she doesn't like because early, oh. earlier on he said something about like you're her mom uh and she goes oh don't let jen hear you say that oh gotcha yeah i didn't pick up on that yeah, it's it's very very quick, kind of brushed away. Um, so Jen says that she is going to go with the chief if he leaves her family alone, even though she knows he's going to kill her once they get back to the foundation land. It's it's cool because it, the, the, this movie has a second false ending, which is as the RV pans away or as the RV drives away. You know, it cuts to the credits, uh, the title card. And then we just get the stationary shot as the RV drives away. And so in my head, I'm thinking, okay, this is like a bleak downer ending. And we're just going to watch the RV drive away to to end this movie. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that then the RV starts to zigzag and get out of control and slam into a car. And then, then, like you said, the, the level of violence had we not seen it in this movie three times prior, yeah, this would be like a really amazing payoff here. But I, I do love Jen just being a fucking savage beast. But she doesn't kill... We don't see her kill the chief, correct? Right. It's just implied that she did because I guess he was driving and... I kind of wish he wasn't driving and that he was somehow like one of the ones running away at the end. And therefore, he gets punished for his whole line earlier of, like, you're not as strong as you pretend to be. But there's... Then, like, he wouldn't be as brave as he pretends to be. Oh, that'd be really good, yeah. Uh, I just... I kind of appreciated that she killed the big bad off screen. Like, in that big, you know, uh, long shot. It's surprising, and I cannot think of... I can't think of another movie that has quite this kind of ending attached to it. Yeah. So I, as much as I'm annoyed by the fake ending two minutes before this, I really applaud this ending in the stationary camera and the long shot aspect of it. So how do you think they did that? Do you think they, they set up the camera on a tripod, crashed the RV, and then just left everything running and still? And then put actors inside the RV after it had crashed and cut to it, you know, like, yeah. to, to maintain that one shot look. Yeah, I think you'd have to because uh, anybody who would be in that RV, unless you specially tricked it out so that they were, uh, you know, belted in like with uh, five point harnesses or whatever, you'd get you get tossed pretty badly in that crash because yeah, it looked it looked rough. I don't I don't think you could put actors in that. So it, 
it'd have to be like a, a cut around yeah where they cut around all the people climbing inside the vehicle but either way really interesting into the movie i'm not crazy about the choice of song the this land was made for you and me breathy female vocals yeah. performed by performed by matthew modine's either wife or daughter it's, it's oh i didn't know that it's something modine okay. performs that song yeah uh, I, I, what this land was made for you and me this land is your land this land is my land does that really fit in with the message of this movie I don't think so. I don't think that song like is a commentary on the plot or the themes of this. No, but it's it's kind of like a great moment and I, but I wish they used a different version that didn't feel like such a millennial movie trailer kind of version of the song. Yeah, I'm I'm really tired of yeah, like breathy covers of rock songs with minimalist piano behind them and like a ton of echo and ambience and it just like it's the millennial movie trailer it's like every trailer is cut like that yeah i mean donnie darko was like 20 years ago uh i feel like it started that trend and it's just never let up since then it's only gotten worse we gotta move on from this mad world that we are living in (laughs) uh but yeah the Ruthie, the little girl uh, who helped them escape, comes out of the RV and Jen holds her hand and they walk off together. And not seen at the end of this movie, but definitely implied, Ruthie kills Jen and her entire family <laughs> the next night. Because <laughs> she's a little feral woodland child who can't be kept in a house. Uh, and at the very end, uh, Sabin Films is one of the production companies on this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sabin Films, I know them from Power Rangers. Yeah, I th- I thought that's what they did. It was like, um, oh, they're one of those, not uh, Crunchyroll as a service that they're on, but one of those companies that just imported and recut uh, things for American audiences. Yeah, it just surprised me to see them producing a movie, especially like during the pandemic. Yeah. So to to wrap this one up here, I think my first viewing of this movie was a four star. My second, it it didn't quite hold up as well, I think, because knowing the, the plot twist and the big mechanic of this movie, that is like the deception of the plot itself. Mm-hmm. It, it took a little bit away from me. I still I like the performances i think jen's solid and um overall i do like the message this movie sends about as you said before try de-escalation before escalation just try it so uh it's a three and a half for me how about for yourself um i left it at four stars mostly for uh some of the gnarliness early on and then kind of the back half of it, even though I think it could be more impactful if they had saved the violence, uh, the violence that's on screen is it's pretty cool and it's well done. And I appreciated that. Uh, and then everything 
after a dad shows up to rescue her is just, it's kind of breathless the way that it just, it's one little action sequence after another. And I think those are all really well done uh, little fight scenes. And I feel like you don't get that as much in these kind of horror movies anymore. So yeah, four stars. Right on. Cool. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug before we get out of here? Um, uh, earlier I mentioned that I watched Incident on and off a mountain road from the Masters of Horror, which was based on a story written by Joe R. Lansdale. And I picked up a book of his short stories. Um, and uh, Bubba Hotep is also one of his. And they're just really entertaining. Like they all kind of have uh, a light tone to them, but they're pretty gruesome too. And yeah, I've been digging that lately. Awesome. Um, I saw Crimes of the Future in theater. Uh, it, I think it was in theater here for about a week and a half, maybe two weeks at mm-hmm. most, before it, it tanked itself out of there. Uh, but it's, it's a solid Cronenberg. I, it might be a little bit too much tell and not enough show for me, but I think it's a very interesting commentary piece by Cronenberg about society, the state of film, looking back on his own career itself. It's just, there's a lot of interesting stuff in there and a lot to talk about. So I'd recommend Crimes of the Future. Cool. And uh, let's, next episode, we are going to have our friend Greg on. And we're going to be talking about the 2012 movie Drug War. And I don't really know anything about that movie. I don't think Josh does either. Mm -mm. But it looks like a good, good time with an organized crime flick. So we don't know what we're going to pair it with yet, but we will let you know once we figure that one out. In the meantime, everyone, please stay safe, be kind to yourselves, be kind to each other, and we'll see you in two weeks. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye.